Hello, everybody. Troy has somehow disappeared, but we're going to fix that in just one second. I don't know what happened on his end. We did have some tech difficulties earlier, which is why we are starting just a tiny bit later. So we'll get Troy in here in just a second. He's here. Say hello, Troy. Hello. There you go. See, he's here. Anyway, welcome to our 20th episode of Six on Six. In keeping with the six theme, we have Mr. 1.6 himself, one of the most infamous and outspoken people in all of Rainbow Six. None other than Mr. Seth Super Hoffman. Seth, how are you today? I would have been better if we started 30 minutes ago, but I'm doing all right. Well, there were no webcams left on Earth, so we had some difficulties. Yeah. There you have it. Also, Troy is Troy's back at home. He's no longer in Vegas, so if you notice that there's anything different with his voice quality, webcam quality, etc., that would explain it. However... And in the preamble, before we went live, Seth was joking that he had killed Troy and was taking over the show. And I was actually quite tempted to just put two of Seth up here on the show, but I figured that would be a little mean-spirited. That would have been a good twist. Yeah. Just anyway. Take over. Let's yeah, we start. Had some, we had some issues. We did, we did have some issues. That's okay. Everything is good now. We started half an hour late, so thank you very much, everybody. Now, super. The same question that we ask everybody who's been put on the show. You've been around a while, but not everybody knows your origin story so in a concise fashion would you like to take us through uh sure so i've been playing rainbow since like vegas one well i, I was playing rainbow since black arrow but on vegas one which was on xbox they had like a mlg pro league which i guess is now like turned into the cod world league um so i've basically been playing rainbow professionally off and on since uh rainbow six vegas one and then vegas two and then the first season of siege on xbox and i quit um during some of that period i was going to school at the same time because uh, obviously back then like then the money you get for winning national championship on like vegas two was like eight thousand dollars a person or something like that so and that that'd be like winning invitational and it was eight grand a person so it's like it was more so just like a hobby that I invested way too much time into. And then I've been able to like, I guess, hang for longer than most. Um, but yeah, I mean, now I'm playing on PC. I uh, I never had played PC until Siege moved over to PC and I'm older than other people. So it was a little more difficult for me to like just pick up a mouse and keyboard and go. But you know, just doing my thing. How have you found the transition into Rainbow Six Siege? Obviously, it's a very different game. You were one of a tiny number of people in the scene who played competitively in another game. What do you mm -hmm. see as the major differences here between Rainbow Six and, say, the other Rainbow Six you played? Uh, well, it's interesting because when I was playing, like, Vegas and Vegas 2, that those are, one, their respawn game modes, uh, a lot of the there, there was like an attack and defend game mode but within the like mlg competitive circuit of it there were like respawn game modes uh <coughs> um so that would be like the main difference i mean at the time like vegas was as big or bigger than call of duty um which is like because i played with I played with Big Timer and Rambo, who obviously went on to be in like Optic on Call of Duty for like a short period. And I chose to keep playing Rainbow because Rainbow was like bigger at the time. 
And then for whatever reason, between like Vegas two and siege, there was like a 10 year span or like eight years or something where they just did not make another game. Um, so during that period, like call of duty basically took over a console, but yeah, I, I mean the main difference would just be like the respawns and obviously playing with the controller. It was kind of a shit show, but yeah. Why don't you just use mouse and keyboard like everybody else? I don't, I don't think that was like a thing back then. Like on, cause it was like on Xbox 360 and stuff too. I don't know the people might've looked at me strange. I was just, uh, that was just to piss off all the, all the console believers in chat who are going to be very upset by that one. Also, just as a point of reference for everybody here, uh, if you use mouse and keyboard on console, don't. It's scummy. So you get into Rainbow Six Siege, obviously, and and I remember you making your debut. Uh, it was on the it was on the X Excellence roster that was playing under Era at the time. Yeah. What got you your first crack playing competitively in Rainbow Six Siege? Was it the legacy that you carried from Call of Duty and in Rainbow Six Vegas, or? Uh, well, I was a, so I hated this game on Xbox, but I play, I was like a pro the first season and I literally didn't play the game when I basically got on a pro team just because everybody knew who I was from like the other games. So it was like purely based off reputation and I was like decent, but I could like, I honestly just didn't care because I was, I was finishing up my master's degree and then it also was like in a period where like I, I just had I had not played for like six years. So I just came back because like it's Vegas, like that's my game, like Rainbow Six. So I just came back and they I got on a pro team by just being me. And I was ass, to be honest. So then after the first season, I just stopped playing because I just didn't enjoy it. And when it came to PC, I thought, oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, I'll try that out because the game, it looks better, at least watching it on PC at the time. And like, obviously we know now the game's is much better on PC. Um, and I was really good friends with Gio, so Gio and I, like, kind of grinded ranked a lot. We actually came to PC, and we were like, how the how the fuck do you play this? And we just, we literally went on, like, one of those pro settings things and just copied Troy's sensitivity. Because Troy had just won Invitational. So we're like, yeah, that guy's the best player, I guess. We'll just, we were both playing 6645, and we were just, like, trying to learn, like, mouse and key. And, uh, yeah, we were... I think back then people probably remember, but we played a lot with George and like his five stacks and like, I forgot what he called it, but we had like a troll squad with like skies and stuff like that. And it, those were some good times, but yeah, at some point we kind of, Geo got picked up first coincidentally by excellence. And then I ended up replacing Fox on excellence the next season after he had like that really like their first land where they won NA, but then they went and played penta and got like absolutely dismantled and then i think uh that kind of gave like fox like a little bit of a bad rap for a little because he did so bad on land i ended up replacing him on the excellence roster and uh yeah we had certainly a very interesting team it was me Jaynon, canine my man and germy so that sounds like the worst team ever uh and then eventually obviously we replaced Jaynon with bosco and qualified for invitational and then got absolutely shit on but at least we qualified that feels like ages ago i can't believe you copied troy sense i mean <laughs> i mean we I didn't know anything about train, man. <laughs> we didn't know anything about pc so this guy's like <laughs> the face of the like basically the face of the game at that point and he just won invitational so we're like 
I got to start with some, some, because that's what I always tell people when they ask me is like, what sense should I play? I was like, you know, you got to figure out your own sense, but if you want like a good starting point, pick like a pro player sense, start yeah. there and adjust it from there. Cause they probably have a decent idea what to do. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense, but in hindsight, like I can't fucking shoot. I forgot yeah, Jane was on your team. Shoot. Maybe that's why I can't shoot either, because all along I've been on your sense. I've just been yeah. copying you the whole time, so neither of us can It explains why Geo whiffed that fucking clip against Empire, bro. We're, we're <laughs> we all started with my sense. Troy has been playing 3D chess the whole time. He's been sabotaging us from the very beginning. You're just trying to convert people over, Troy, and then long enough in, once everyone's using your sense, you just change your sense to what it really is, and you start clowning on kids. Look at that. Yeah. It's a long con. Incredible. He really he really is a genius of Siege. I yep. mean, you're a two-time six invitational champion and we're five years in. At what point does the long con begin to to change, <laughs> right? When what's, what's the payoff here? So I went both times with the wrong sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty good piece of advice though, Seth. I mean, I'm not a pro by any means. Obviously. I mean, anybody who watches my stream will see that. You are absolutely awful. <laughs> Among the worst. Thank you. Continue, though. Anyway. Even people come in as, as misguided as they may be. People come in and they ask me for pointers on how to go pro and how to play at a top level. And it's just like, I have no fucking idea. Let me know when you find an answer. You know, because then I'll do it. Yeah. Because right now, I don't have an answer for you. So. <laughs> but. So you get on that era squad. You're playing with Janon. Who I think only plays like, I think he only played like two matches or something like that, didn't he? Played like two or three matches. Yeah. So, uh, he played. He played the season where we beat. Um, I can't even remember who we beat at this point. And then we lost to Rise, and that was, or I don't even, I, I don't remember the name of the teams in. But we won one match yeah. and lost one match with Jaynon, and Jaynon was playing like Ash and stuff, and he wasn't. He didn't perform that well. Um. Uh, that was also my like 1.6 season, so I performed like pretty well. Even though I will say I was terrible then, like I, my stats are way worse now, but I'm way better than I was when I had my best seasons. So I like, I was awful. So I don't know how I did so well, but maybe the dumber you are, the better you play because. If I look back at how I played then, I'm like a hundred times better. Like just what I know, how I play now, I'm way better. But that was statistically my best season. Um, so yeah, we we uh, we ended up replacing Janon with Bosco for the Invitational qualifiers, which is funny because Bosco and I really didn't get along from Xbox. Because I remember during the Xbox chat, uh, people kind of made fun of Bosco, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I like to kind of like. If, you, if people are making fun of you, I'll like go a little further with it and make fun of you some more. That's very out of character for you. So like, I I was making fun of Bosco for something on Xbox, and then he won the Xbox Invitational, and I and like people probably have an some people probably have an idea what the Xbox chat is, and so Bosco never typed in the Xbox chat, and right literally right after he won, he was like there on the stage. He goes in the Xbox chat. And he goes, Seth, suck my dick. And then he left the chat. <laughs> so so him and I didn't really like get along that well. 
but we <laughs> but he was on a challenger league team with like i think he was scrimming with like bio and achieved maybe at that point and we scrimmed him and he went fucking like he was destroying us and i was like i was like listen we got to get this guy he just won he won invitation on xbox i know he's going to be good and so i like i kind of put my like ego or whatever aside and i like dm'd him i was like hey man you want to scrim with us? And he like, I, I'm sure he was like, why the fuck is Seth DMing me? But yeah, we picked him up and that was kind of the, uh, that, that was like when Blackbeard DMR was like insane. And he literally just ran through everyone in the invitational qualifier. I think he like, I don't remember the exact stats, but I'm pretty sure Bosco had like a 4.0 KD in the invitational qualifier playing Blackbeard DMR. And smoke and, on defense too. Let's not forget that. Yeah, and and I think he was playing a lot of Jaeger then as well. I will say that uh, for our team, but because Jaynon played smoke. No, yeah, he replaced Jaynon, so you're right. But yeah, so we won that, and then obviously we went to Invitational and didn't do the will there. Uh, part of that was because we were not aware of how different LAN was for PC, because obviously none of us had played PC LAN. I mean, I guess Gurmy and Maman did, but they got absolutely shit on, so they probably didn't still didn't know what was going on. Uh, but the Blackbeard DMR on LAN was not the play. Like, the shield just breaks in, like, one bullet, and our our, our hard carry was, like, neutralized. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a little bit of a struggle on the, on the LAN Invitational, but it was a learning experience for sure. Yeah, that's something we figured out early on, like, Blackbeard's significant worse on LAN. Yeah. That was uh, what prompted... It was playing you. They you were playing on Oregon. I can't remember who you were playing, and that's what mm. prompted me to do the Bosco Blackbeard win round. Yeah, Bo Bosco was like I, I don't know if there's been a more like dominant like like tournament or something than he was in that online qualifier. Like literally, it was, he had like a four point KD. I'm not like he was like sixty and fourteen or something. Yeah, and just, call, we like, called him the gatekeeper for the for yeah the that, that started that started the gatekeeper thing because he won he wins every qualifier <laughs> he plays in so you get to uh you get to si and i mean a lot of people here are never going to play this game on land right other than blackbeard and his shield breaking right away try to explain to the people who are watching many of whom have never really heard the differences of land versus online what else factors into that with making you a different team on land than online well, I think, like, obviously, well, on land to online, especially at, like, Invitational Nerves, where I was going to play a factor in it. Some people get more nervous. Some people get less nervous. That's just how it is. Uh, but I think, like, the big thing is, like, online, you can get away with, like, swinging and, like, challenging stuff. Whereas on land, like, if you're trying to swing through bullets or challenge somebody through, like, pre-fire or whatever, like, all of those bullets are going to register. So some fights that you can get away with winning by just, like, swinging online... Most of those you're not going to win on land. And then, like, the other thing I would say is, like, high fire rate guns are, like, insane on land. They'll kill you, like, instantly. And, like, you know, I, I, I personally think the MPX is a pretty decent gun, but, like, online people say the, like, Valk's gun is ass. But if you play that gun on land, that gun, like, shreds. Like, so I, I think it's more so just, like, every bullet registers on land, and the higher, the high fire rate guns just, like, melt. Like, Twitch, Ash, like, those guns, like, destroy you yeah i was what well, there was one of the dream hacks uh and everybody was running twitch even though her pick rate in pro league was non-existent i can't remember what dream hack it was 
I, I remember G2 slash Penta was there. So it was either DreamHack Winter or DreamHack Valencia, but I think it was DreamHack Winter. And it was, was just... Say, it was a thing in Austin, too, because I remember that, that's all I played in Austin. Yeah, and I, I just went up and I said, you know, what's... That's when Hyper, Hyper is what, yeah, at Austin. And Hyper, Hyper was playing like, it, too. Twitch, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so it would have been Austin then. Because uh, I remember at one point, Kanto was playing a lot of Twitch at a DreamHack when I was watching, and that was probably DreamHack Winter. Another one too, then. Yeah. yeah, and I asked, and I just said, you know, why? And they said, because the F2 on land just melts people. Doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, just, all, just all the high variance guns on land are yeah. like a different breed. Yeah. Obviously, they've nerfed Twitch since then, but... Still, well, also, it still melt you. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's just you... you at least recently, like you haven't had room to run Twitch. I feel like, yeah, Twitch is going to be meta now, but before yeah. I think it was not there. You think we're going to see more? Tw you think we're going to see more Twitch? Oh, 100% it has flashes now, so people can run. You run Twitch with Ash or Twitch with Sophia. Do you pop it up yeah. a lot in scrims, both of you? I mean, I haven't. Yes, we've what? been running it a lot. Oh. Okay, well, I know a lot of people are going to want to hear about your scrims super but before we get there um so era ends up in a weird spot you leave si with your heads hanging what are your next steps miss because at this point you'd earned the title of mr 1.6 i think your next live event is dreamhack austin where you play on uh, sinister yeah so after so after era uh initially they wanted to drop k9 um but the og yeah they wanted to drop k9 but I, we ended up I, I i i like made a twit longer about it at the time i can't even remember the circumstances but basically germy like because back then you needed like three fists roster control germy kind of like finessed the roster into making a couple of changes and so i was not on era anymore and then k9 i think was also not on it um at that time to be honest i didn't really care because even though we made invitational i was getting paid like 750 bucks a month so again like it was still just like to me it was just like something i did for fun like we would be you could ask bosco about this because i think this is one of the reasons they probably kicked me off the team even though i had a 1.6 kd we would be scrimming and I would, like, die or get a kill. And Bosco would be like, where? Where? And I'd be like, poo-poo. Like, I wouldn't call out. I just didn't give a shit at all uh, during that time. So after, because, like, that wasn't when I was, like, trying to IGL or anything either. Like, I had a completely different mindset about the game. Like, it was just, I was just playing for fun. And obviously, Bosco's, I mean, we all know Bosco. He's very competitive. So I understand, like, at that time why they wouldn't want to play with me. Although, to be honest, uh, you know, the poo-poo calls do bring up the vibes, but uh, sometimes they're needed. I'm sorry, but, did you not start this episode off by saying that you were a little older than everybody else that plays this game? I mean, physically, but mentally, I'm right there with you, little man. You have a master's degree. Yeah, and saying poo-poo. Can I continue <laughs> on? Before I was rudely interrupted. Uh, so yeah, so after Era, again, I was like kind of in the position where I just didn't really care. The money wasn't there for me to care that much. Um, but I got an opportunity with uh, Sinister. I wasn't like joining their team, but they had, they were playing Challenger League, and I guess they had like a guaranteed spot in DreamHack Austin. Um, 
and they asked me to like sub in because they knew I was from Texas and they asked if like if I knew anybody else and I was like yeah I think we, we could get like achieved so I asked achieved and then me and achieved like subbed in for them basically at an event uh and that was the first time I ever tried IGLing uh keep in mind like I still was at the point where I didn't really give a shit but I thought it made more sense for me as an older player to try to IGL uh I was not good at it at that event but we did you know, we we did manage to beat Mouse, uh, who was like a pro league team, at that event, uh, with the team that literally got eighth place. Like they, the team we were playing with got last place in CL, and with me and Achieve, we beat a pro league team. So like, that that was like, I guess a surprise, obviously. You want to tell the people um, who's on who were on that sinister roster the full roster? It was me, Achieved, Janon, Goni, and Mushmix. So some call that the dream team. Nobody calls but it that. I've heard it referred to that many times. Ooh. I don't want to get specifics because maybe that won't be called out, but we've been referred to as the dream team. What People was it, say what that was that it like IGLing Goni? Uh, well, Goni was like, a, it was the first time I played with somebody who's like a shield main. So we just made a bunch of strats where Goni would just like sh run at people with blitz and stuff, to be honest. But again, I wasn't really like, I was IGLing more from the stance of like, making strats and then like we have this structure down and then like i'll say the strat but i wasn't like at a point where i was like real igling because that was like the first time i ever tried it so it's more so just like it was like the it was what some people now would call igling who don't actually igl it was like you call the strat and then you just run the strat that's basically what it was but i wasn't i mean it was my first time at it and you know i, I would i would say i was not good at it at that point but um yeah, we you know, we did have a we did have an upset match, and then after that, uh, I was Rise asked me to join for uh, Mark the Shark, so I was gonna replace Mark the Shark, and then they also wanted to replace Beastly, and I wanted to pick up Hyper, uh, who ended up joining that team anyway. Uh, and then when I got home, uh, Vert didn't want to play with me because I thought that Vert plays in a detrimental way to the success of his team. I think the way Vert played, I, I couldn't say anymore, but at the time I thought that Vert played like very reliant on doing things for him. Like, like he's a great player, obviously. And it makes sense to like structure stuff around him. But I thought to the detriment of the team, they were trying to do too much stuff with Vert. So, so I like told them, I was like, I'll join, but we have to change the way we play because, you know, I was at the point where I wanted to start taking it more seriously in terms of, like, IGLing and stuff like that. I was like, we have to change the way we play because, you know, you guys do everything through Vert, but, like, you, you know, you got to be more flexible, like, more of a team, team like, game. And that got back to Vert, and, yeah, Vert was like, yeah, no, I don't want to play with the guy who doesn't want me to, like, run around with Ash and stuff. So, understandable. And then they picked up Hyper and... uh I don't even remember who else they picked up at that point. Maybe it's just Hyper. Yeah, it was, but... was it Acid? I think it was just Hyper. Yeah, because well, the roster ended up being England, Vandal, Beastly. Oh no, they ended up keeping Beastly and just picked up Hyper. Is what happened. Yeah, they did. They didn't end up dropping Beastly. Beastly. Or Hyper. Yeah. Um, that was the same yeah. roster that ended up with the second best record in the second half of was it season nine? Season... Technically, it's also the same roster I ended up relegating on e-gang after rogue but yeah after that i joined uh rogue shortly after yeah yeah you got picked up on the rogue now 
I want to talk for a second about Rogue because I feel like this is this is when you started to hit your stride as a controversial figure in part because the fights that you kept picking with your coach and then after you I would call him a coach I would call him a, a person I see we're, we're starting off on a good foot okay go ahead uh I feel like that was the start the birth of evil super now obviously you might not agree necessarily with what I'm going to say but my perspective was was that your reputation got dialed up to 11 at this point because the drama that ensued when you got removed from the rogue roster after after Rio and the public war of words you had with with Ranger coach slash as you said person I feel like that was your your origin story as evil super I mean, part of it was mainly when I joined Rogue, uh, people actually cared about Rogue, so I just became more of a known person on Rogue, so the things I said carried more weight at that point. And then also, on Rogue, we were pretty good. You know, we the first event we went to with Rogue, we got second at the DreamHack, and obviously I think we, should, we had the better team, we should have won, but we lost to Cloud9 in the final of the DreamHack. Uh, then we got second in Pro League, uh we came back from like we were in like fifth place and came back and got second pro league um qualified for u.s nationals obviously qualified for invitational um and then before you know i i don't know how the i, I kind of wonder how we would have actually fared at the rio season final if i didn't know that i was not going to be on the team because i just basically trolled because like fuck those guys but i kind of would like to have seen how we fared if I actually gave a shit about that event. Because uh, I do think we were good. Like, we had a good string of success there for a while. Like, I, th I think we were a really good team. We had, like, a really good mixture of roles. Um, but, yeah, obviously, Rogue... Rogue was... It was unannounced, but they were going into League, and they were a little worried about my persona and whatnot. Uh, so they had requested that I be removed. And obviously, like, Rogue had already lined up Vert either way to replace me there. Um, so they had, but they had to tell me ahead of time because we were moving to the team apartments in Vegas. So like they had to tell me to not move my shit, obviously, because that'd be kind of fucked up to be like, yeah, come out here and then just bring all your shit back. That basically Rogue didn't want me on the roster. So at that point I was, I was like playing cause you know, I was getting paid and whatnot, but I, could not give a shit because I did a lot for that team. Like, you know, Ranger was the coach, but this was a guy who'd play league during scrims and he'd like sleep and shit. So it's just like, I, he was more of a manager than a coach. Like he took care of like the, like plane tickets and making sure people were there on time and that kind of thing. But I wouldn't say he was necessarily a coach. Like the only time I ever remember Ranger giving us a strat was like, he was like, I just watched G2 play bank. I think we should play bank. All right. You're Pengu. And like just like we're literally just copying G2 strats on bank. And I was like, sweet, I'm fucking Pengu. But yeah, uh, that's pretty much it, I guess. I mean, I think it could have ended a different way, but that's the way it went. At this point, you get, you your persona causes the ire of of Rogue and prompts them to take you off of the roster. I mean, I feel like we've heard countless stories of poor LAN 
results being explained by somebody understanding that it was the end of the road for them. Um, I know Kix talked about Young at one of the events. Young knew he was leaving the team. I can't remember if it was Continuum or I if mean, it was... Yeah, it's like we're even if you don't necessarily mean to, because we're all competitive. So like, it, like anybody who's a professional is competitive. Like you want, you care about doing well and winning, but it's just like, it's not the same. If you're going to an event and you know you're not on the team, and it's like you did all this shit for them, you made the strats, you do all this, like you know, you helped IGL, like all that. You brought this team from like fifth to second and qualified them for Invitational in USN. You know you're not even gonna get a play at it with them now. It's just like. It's hard to, like, have the same mentality. It's hard to just, like, honestly give a shit, in my opinion. Like, you don't... You're not really playing for anything there. No, I, I understand that. And I think that, like you said, even unconsciously, that's the case. How big of an impact did you make on Rote? Because that's a debate that happens frequently. There are many people, especially those Redditor denizens, the denizens of our Reddit, who have very firm belief that you leaving Rogue was what killed Rogue. Do you agree with that? Uh, I mean, I've heard some people say that that Rogue, when I was on it, was like among the best versions of Rogue. Uh, I, I think we were actually really good. Um, I, I can't say that for certain. Obviously, they did much worse, at least in terms of Pro League after that. Um, but, you know, that's all hypothetical. Um, when I was on the team, when I first joined Rogue, I was just like, you know, just trying to fit in, like fill the role. And I didn't really have much play, but after a match or two, we were getting like murked. So I started making the majority of our strats and doing like, you know, I posted like on Reddit a long time ago, like one of my reviews of like cloud nines border strats or something. So I was doing like all that. And then obviously trying to play more of a part in like eye gelling and hard breach kind of stuff. So I think I had a decent part in the like, success we had after you know after we kind of struggled a little bit at the beginning um in terms of them struggling after i think that was more so when they replaced me with vert they replaced the player on their team who played a hard breach helped igl and was like a support player with a guy who plays like ash jaeger so i think more than anything they just screwed themselves over in terms of roles because they they replaced a support player with another fragger um kind of like a dream team situation where it's just like just because you have the five best players on one team doesn't mean that that team's going to be the best team people have to make sense within their roles and i think that more so than anything did them in uh, i also thought they were terribly igl'd and they didn't like like my team like obviously e-gang or whatever sonics we were horrible but we beat them both times we played them because they're just and obviously they really struggled in pro league because they're just super predictable um that's how that's how i saw them at the time at least anyway troy what's your take on that as somebody who played against them i'm picking up vert was like probably it was like it was the wrong rule i, I agree with seth on that um necessarily best iteration of rogue was like i feel like their best most consistent like success and performance was almost like all the way back when they had like avian brian right that far i mean it was also a different time of the game though so it's hard to say but like when when they had that roster there was never a point in time where like i played against them and i didn't think they were kind of like what i expected like 
I never like played against them. Like, oh, they're not like second best team in NA, you know. Um, but later on, I feel like there was more inconsistencies, and I think that was just a matter of like going through too many rosters and like throwing off the balance of like, especially later on. Yeah, when when Vert was on the team, you could definitely tell that there was just like between between like having slash. Basically, everyone other than like Kev, I feel like shouldn't necessarily be on a support role. Like Slash, kind of can, but like you, I don't know. I feel like Slash, like yeah, I remember watching like a flex role. Yeah, I remember watching them, and because when I played with Slash, Slash was like fucking insane on smoke when we played Mm -hmm. with when I played with them, and then when Vert joined the team, Slash wasn't playing smoke anymore, and Liv easily was playing smoke. And I don't even remember what they had Slash playing, but I just felt like, yeah, I, I just feel like the roles on that team were were screwed up personally more than anything, because yeah. they're all like we all know everybody on that team is a good like good a great player. It's not like they didn't have the talent. I think they're just, I think they're very predictable. I don't think they had like necessarily a good direction. And then I think they, yeah, the roles just didn't really make sense for what they were doing. Yeah, they just I feel like they couldn't make everyone comfortable because of it. someone had to be uncomfortable just because of the players they had. I think when that you was see... Like later iteration. When you see somebody like Vertical and you see somebody like Hyper available, I mean, regardless of whether... Seth, I don't know if you still think that Vertical's play style is a problem. Uh, I mean, Troy on this show said that he doesn't like laxing style of play either and thinks that it causes a team to play around it and can put them in bad situations and... You literally tweeted during the middle of our show about laxing stats to try and make fun of Troy, or at least prove that Troy wasn't looking at it in the same perspective. Um, well, uh, that's more so just like the eye test doesn't always match the numbers, and numbers never yeah. lie, kind of thing. Yeah, no, for me, like when I'm saying that, I'm saying it like for my style of siege, how I would want to yeah. play siege. Like I wouldn't want to play with lax. I yeah. don't like I don't like how he plays like if he were to be on my team. Right, yeah. But I obviously like it works cuz they they win stuff like I think it's inconsistent though. I think yeah. you rely like you have to rely on it too much and I think it causes inconsistent results. Inconsistent results in terms of wins, not inconsistent results in terms of stats. I think in general their specific team is not that structured on their attacks uh, and obviously i think the way to be most consistent is to have structure so that like your round around results aren't always varying uh relying on off, off of like more so individual plays than like you know like how ssg plays like very execute heavy where like if they get to their spots and lock you down like you lose the round because their executes yeah. are just like flawless kind of situation yeah, and, like, that's how I like to play the game. So rather than, right. yeah, like, OXG, on the other hand, like, when they win, win rounds, like, a lot of the time, it's, they have, like, four players that consistently make crazy fucking plays. Like, uh, all other than Bio. And Bio even sometimes does, too, but I feel like, like, that's not what they have him there for. But for the most part, like, all four of those players, like, almost constantly look to try to make, like, some sort of crazy play. And that's how they win a lot of rounds. But it's just an, it's an inconsistent way to play, I think. And I think I don't know, it's it's hard to argue against that. Like, I feel like results show that. the The argument that I've always made, and I mean, I I see this from a casting perspective, 
is laxing stats are good, but could laxing have a slightly worse stats, but allow the team to play a more cohesive system that makes the stats marginally better for everybody else. But regardless of individual stats, it makes the team perform better. You know, that's the point that I've always kind of, I've been kind of been trying to make and have asked, and I don't have an answer, right? I mean, every team plays a different system. It's obvious that OXG plays one that is is removed from the more structured style. And I think what we've seen from OXG back when they were on rec and now through OXG for, for two stages of, of the US division is that they have a ceiling, whether it be because of their roster or because of their play style, they have a very hard ceiling. You know, and while we we always consider the top four of NA, in all reality, it's the top three because whenever push comes to shove, it's always DZ, TSM, or, or SSG finishing in the top three now. OXG doesn't really have a realistic shot of winning, either, or didn't really have a realistic shot of winning either of the past two majors. And in big events like this, they put up great matches, but then when we get to the major, they struggle. Is that a, is that a component because of the play style is that an is that an issue with the way that laxing plays is that because of the way the team plays we, i don't know i'm not, I'm not going to diagnose them but i do think it is a fair question to ask that if laxing were to play maybe more of a conventional style maybe his stats get worse but the team performs better could that happen I, I, I don't know i've never played with a player like laxing but i think if i did i wouldn't want to change his play style you played with canine Comparing K9 to laxing is just I like... know, but I feel like that's like as <laughs> sorry, similar sorry, as it gets in terms that. of he didn't mean that lax. <laughs> but like no, in terms of play style, like I agree, lax does a lot more, but in terms of play style, like K9 least, took it to the least... like far yeah, extent. Like yeah. he would it would he would not move no matter what. Like lax will eventually move, but K9 would just be like He's once he's in his spot, it's the, that's the rest of the round for him. He's good. I mean, he he was a hell of a sight player on defense, but on attack, he was completely useless. Yes. I um. I think it is. I think Laxing will be enraged to hear that in any way, shape, or form he is compared to K9. I don't know what to say, man. Well, I mean, you could the not way call the him way I see it. The way I see it. Both of them are on the other side of the map as Thatcher. Like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Fair. Anyway. Um, I mean, the, the argument that was made for Vertical, like I said, was just that when a player like Vertical is available, you take them. Same with Hyper. A lot of people looked at DZ's roster and said, you know, they didn't really need Hyper. And guess what? It seems to have been the right call to make, picking them up. And sometimes it's better to pick up like a top tier fragger and then get a support later than it is to say, oh, well, he doesn't really fit our system. We need a support player and just kind of wait. I actually think that top tiers, like, I think T1 support players are way harder to find than T1 fraggers. No, I agree. Honest. I do agree with that. But we tend to see more turnover of good fraggers than we do of good support players. Because even if a team is performing poorly, as much as we scapegoat support players on teams... Let's be completely honest. Most of the support players that have been cut as of late aren't really in high demand. They're kind of tier two, maybe tier three in terms of pro league potential. The really, 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 really good support players aren't going anywhere. 
I, for, I think I, I feel like part of the reason why it's like the game's at a point now where like you kind of only need one support player and your support player should be IGLing. Yeah. So if you're a support who can't IGL, you're not really the same use anymore because my ideal like my ideal like roster is like you have two to three fraggers and like a flex guy who can play like a second sight player, a second hard bridge, that thing. But you only have like one real support player who IGLs. So I don't, I just don't think there's like, I mean, right now we, we've got six teams in pro league. Obviously there are eight, but like if, if you play my version of siege, you only need eight support players in pro league. So it, it's just like, there's not a lot of roster spots for that. Yeah. There's, there's definitely not a lot of spots for it. I mean, I think you can make the argument for two on a team and stuff like that, but I guess it depends if you consider like a, a like primary flank watch, like a support player, which it probably is. Yeah. It's like more of a like a flex. That guy probably flexes on defense. Yeah, but. but it yeah, it depends on the team, and I think the big reason a lot of those support players don't get picked up, Parker, is because the teams that are making changes are like the weaker teams. And I don't think they have the same vision for the game. Like, I think it's a sick joke that Young's not on it. I mean, Young has also come out and said on stream, when he was playing Valorant, that Valorant stream he did, the first stream back after EG was announced that they weren't going to be continuing on and Young was essentially a free agent. Young did basically come out and say that there were a couple teams that reached out to him, but either he didn't like the people on the team or the teams, frankly, weren't good enough. So he said no. I mean, I, I know... I don't but think that, yeah, know, that's an issue on Young. No, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think it, at this point it matters because it's history. But I know that TSM and OXG asked Young to try out, and he declined. Then, yeah, that's an issue on his end. But didn't OXG say that's not true? Yeah, Twitter? I heard. I heard the OXG one wasn't true. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not positive, but well, Skies just said in chat that Rec wanted Young, so that's OXG. But I had heard that. He turned down tryouts from OXG and TSM, and then obviously they have now they have Chala, who, uh, you know, for as much hate as I gave Chala, is like obviously a hell of a player, and then they have Bio, who, you know, OXG's still consistently in that third fourth spot. So, you know, I don't think any of those changes really backfired. But yeah, for Young's perspective, I, you know, um, maybe he had a different idea of what he wanted to do at the time, but those are definitely some questionable. Uh, decisions considering that he's still playing siege now i mean i'd also heard that dg and tempo had reached out to him as well and he said no and i thought those were the teams that he was talking about when he said that you know either he didn't he didn't like them or he didn't want to be a part of them the rumor i'd heard was that dg and tempo had approached him to be if not igl then at least hard support for them and i'm going to be honest with you unless young really wants to play and has a burning desire to play I would have said no to Tempo and DG as well, especially at that time. Um, the other thing with Young is Young seems like the type of person, and, and Troy can either confirm or deny this, but the thing with Young is it seems like Young doesn't just want to play this game for a paycheck. He wants to play this game in a way that he knows he can win, and he plays with people who have a similar vision. Yeah. I would have to question his vision based off of who no, he's playing I, with. I I definitely like think he should have taking those tracks. I mean, I, I think he probably regrets it as well, but... You live and you learn. Yeah. I, mean, I still it, think he's a big, like, 
I don't know. I still think if he's on a good team, like he would make everyone on the team better support. Like I think he's better than most of the support players. So yeah, I think I think when you look at the when you look at the rosters, especially now with with United and Tempo basically blown up. I hate to say it, but I mean there were people on both of those teams that I just frankly do not think can hang in in pro play anymore. Um. I, I suspect we'll never get to a point where everybody on every roster deserves a spot. There will always be people who are who are kept around for either their roles or because a team is doing well or because they're friends. You know, roster moves are only done by clout, according to Challenger League players. So, I mean, that's that's why it Definitely happens. not true. That's what... Well, no, don't tell the Challenger League players that, Super. That's all they talk about. There are... You got to think about it. So, right now there's six six teams, but there's eight teams... I don't know how many millions of people play this game. Obviously not at the same time, but there's there's like 30 million registered players for this game. So if you're in NA Pro League, there are 40 people, now there are 30. How in the fuck could it be about clout if there are only 40 people in all of NA that are in Pro League? You think anybody's in Pro League by like a favor? Like, oh, that guy's funny. Let's pick him up. There's 40 people out of everyone that's in Pro League. It's not a fucking mistake. Sure, there are some people who probably are they're better players that can replace them. And maybe there are certain reasons why they have a spot and the other person doesn't. Could be attitude, could be, you know, you never know. But it's not clout-based. There's only 40 spots. You, if, The orcs spend so much money, there's no shot that anybody's taken anything but what they think is the best option. No, dude, what are you talking about? It's just, it's whoever's funny on Twitter. Hey, that's why I'm still around, huh? That's the only reason. And because your dad owns the org. And also the state <laughs> of Pennsylvania. True. And Ubisoft. And Ubisoft. And also, I heard also Pengu. Uh, yeah, we just let him hang out in EU because we don't want him over here. You're just waiting to recall him to the Sonics for the ultimate dream yeah. run. Got it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's obviously... I want to get to FPL because you played a central role in that too. But... uh. Now we're talking about the Sonics, and I mean, you, you come through the U.S. division, and I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which topic I want to get to first, because I know most people are here for, for probably the roster, but I also think your thoughts on the whole E-United tempo situation, and we haven't talked about that. I mean, E-United left the scene, like, literally right before the episode with Lycan, so we didn't really get to dive into it too much, and now tempo's also gone. So, I mean, we took a bit of a sabbatical, hey? We were gone for like a month. So, uh, I mean, let's first, let's first talk about the orgs leaving because I think it sets us up nicely for the next line, which would be the roster moves. So, sure. um, you, you did a stream with your GM talking about the sustainability of the U.S. division. Now, unfortunately... As a capitalist, you enact a financial barrier to people who want to go back and rewatch your VODs. And for the working class Rainbow Six That's because the only, people, the only people who should be able to watch my VODs are members of the Make Siege Great Again community. So if, you're not, if you don't support the movement, then you don't support anything to me. Continue. Anyway. People need to be sub to you to go back and rewatch your VODs. So absolutely correct. Why do you or do Twitch that? Why Prime do you do that? By the way, I don't make that much money. I want Twitch Prime money. What do you mean? 
You, th you, you think that this content that I bring to you is free? You, you, you pay for my, for my pr privilege. Come We're not on. paying you for the show. We don't make any money off the show. Hey, but I'm still out there. Now people know who I am. So, so maybe a couple people out there, you're like, you know what? I like this guy. Maybe I'll go throw him a couple bucks. We you know what? Yeah, I'll, be making, I'll be making it rain. Make, to be on show. I'll be, yep. I'll be making it rain. Make siege great again. Money all over my head. Just... How many of those shirts have you sold? Uh, 70 before we took, uh, before we're moving the website. So I'd sold about 70. Simps. You're basically getting paid an exposure to be here. You're, you're essentially a freelance photographer. No, but I, I, I'll, I'll put your stuff on Facebook for exposure. I won't pay you. That's basically what we're doing right now. That's fine. Okay. So you, you and your org owner, who is not your father, by the way. He's our GM. That's our GM. Sorry, not GM. Our GM. Yeah. Apologies. Uh, you talked about the sustainability. And it was kind of funny because, I mean, people were, were almost frothing mad at United leaving. They saw it as another indictment of mismanagement of the U.S. division after EG right. and LG left. However, you didn't necessarily have that same take. And the conversation shifted. And I noticed it on Reddit after you did that stream with more blame being put at the feet of E-United than previously. Do you want to summarize that for the people who don't have a subscription to the Make Siege Super Again Club? Uh, so, like, from my, from my perspective, why orgs are leaving? Well, no, let's talk about E-United first. Let's go through E-United okay. because I don't necessarily agree that E-United and Tempo are analogous but yeah uh so from my perspective e united uh e united was overpaying their roster they threw money at them to come into the game because they wanted to be a part of the nal they wanted to be part of the r6 share i think they got back their first portion of the r6 share and it was below what they were expecting so kind of in a panic move, in my opinion, they just decided at that point, we got to get out of this as soon as we can. Um, one thing I said on the stream then, and this is a hypothetical, but I'll also just say like, this is what they made. The players were making $6,000 a month. So obviously, do I think they should have made $6,000 a month? No, they're not good enough for that salary. That's overpaid. But that's United's fault for paying them that in the first place. So, if you're paying them $6,000 a month, that's $30,000 for five players. I also know that they are spending $8,000 on their staff for a coach and their analyst. Again, probably too much money, but that's United's fault. So, we're at $38,000 without even considering how much they have to pay for a house, how much they have to pay for utilities of the house, how much they have to pay a content creator to make all the videos and all that kind of stuff. So, let's just say that they're spending $50,000 a month on the Rainbow Six Siege team. What's $50,000 over 12 months? That's $600,000. Given the R6 share program, you know, your tier one, tier two, tier three, they're tier two. You get a certain percentage back of the R6, like the pilot program skins. I think it's all pooled together. We don't know what it is, but what we can probably say for certain is it's not going to be more than like two hundred fifty dollars or $300,000. 
So automatically, if you're United, you're losing $300,000, $250,000. Now, some of that your own doing, sure. And most esports come into, like most orgs are coming into an esport understanding that they'll lose money on the roster. Like they'll lose money from paying the roster. But they'll, they want to lose an amount that they could then make that amount up by bringing in sponsors or bringing in endorsements or making content around the team that gets their org notoriety, that kind of thing. But if you're losing $200,000, et cetera, there's no way you're making that up unless you have a team that can win invitational like SSG or something. So the, the problem there is like, and, and this is going to go for all the NAL orgs is like, what do you do to make up this huge discrepancy in the salaries and what in theory you're probably getting back from R6 share as to what people are being paid? Cause it doesn't seem sustainable right now. And obviously E United did it to themselves. And then I don't think they handled it well because they basically just left the, the players on the team out to dry without seemingly making much of an effort to, uh, arrange something for them outside of that but yeah i mean uh it's certainly not a good situation united also paid six people on their roster at one point when they brought in reed i'm assuming alfama was probably getting paid a salary while he was in visa hell and then on top of that they paid to relocate him and get his visa and if i know anything it's co it costs anywhere from five to ten grand to hire a lawyer and do all the paperwork as a canadian yes. to get an american visa I know that right now, for me to come to Vegas, I'm looking at somewhere between eight to ten grand for a lawyer and all the paperwork and all of that just to get myself a visa to come to America. Yep. I would imagine, and I could be wrong, that it's probably comparable if you're coming from France to America. So that's on top of everything else. And they had Alfama on the roster for what, three, four months before he could play? Like, are they just not paying him? What about Reed? Was Reed taking a, a cut of the salary? How much was he getting, et cetera? So. I I'm not, I don't know for cert, certain, but I think they were splitting that. So I think they were each taking 3K, but I'm not positive on that. I mean, that would make sense. That would make a lot more sense, but still just the paperwork alone and the relocation. I mean, you're paying for flights, presumably, and moving his stuff over and all that jazz. That's not, it's not cheap. It doesn't amount to much, but it's still, it still can be quite cheap. It's not going to be quite cheap. Uh, Right. The conversation that we've got into a couple times is regardless of the sustainability of Rainbow Six, a team like E United, a team like Disrupt, a team like Tempo Storm, frankly, do not warrant any more than five grand per player a month at absolute most, unless they're performing at a top level. Especially a team like Tempo Storm which we'll get into in just a sec. I will say this about E United though. E United was pumping out a pretty decent amount of contact or, or content around their roster. Yeah, I thought I thought United was doing a great job within the scene. It's just how they handled leaving it that I think they did poorly. So, this is the question I want to ask for you because there was you are decently familiarized with uh the rule set more than I am because I mean obviously I've not I don't have any vested interest in it. Frankly, I don't care to read up on the rules surrounding orgs and all that jazz. But what I understand is being contested by E-United's GM in that mm -hmm. Tempo Storm, supposedly, somebody is lying here. You're saying that in a, in a way, E-United kind of panicked and just left the scene. I think that they saw 
I think that they saw what they were potentially getting back from R6 share, that it wasn't nearly what they thought it was going to be for whatever reasons, you know, COVID, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And rather than wait it out or, uh, you know, let Ubisoft know ahead of time, I think they just were like, we got to get out of this as soon as we can. We can't afford to keep losing money. And they just, that was the decision, which, you know, they're a business. That is their right. But yeah. I, they handled it differently, in my opinion, than what Tempo Storm did. This is something that a lot of viewers, and I tweeted about this, and guess what? The tweet got very limited traction. I can send out an angry tweet blaming orgs or Ubisoft, and that tweet will fly. I tweet out basically saying, hey, let's talk about how the global pandemic is crushing orgs right now, left, right, and center across all esports, and nobody cares about that tweet. And I mean, I think it's pretty telling. Obviously, people want to be outraged. The moment, like, I mean, Smoothie called out the subreddit on Twitter yesterday or something like that about how we're seeing important notes about SI and the SI quals come out and they and on the Rainbow Six Pro League subreddit, it gets zero traction. And then somebody posts a funny meme. And of course, that meme soars. And I even fell victim to it yesterday. I sent out a, a pretty, a pretty uh, hostile tweet and I was wrong. And I deleted the tweet, which was about the merch yesterday because I had poor information. I tweeted out yesterday. And this is where, by the way, Troy, this is where your tweet accountability comes into play. I tweeted out yesterday that the, the six invitational merch was that $60 t-shirt and the $122 sweater, and the $232 jacket, which I think are outlandish prices. I think you're a sucker if you're paying them for those things. The jacket is the only thing that was, to my mind, somewhat reasonably priced, and that's because it's- I mean, those... why would you even pay that when a Make Siege Gradient shirt's 25 bucks or a hoodie's 35 bucks? You could get both for the price of one t-shirt. Think about that. I knew it was coming and I was trying to prepare myself for it and I just, I didn't do it in time. But anyway, my information was wrong, which is why I deleted the tweet because the t-shirt and the sweater, which I think are the two most egregious of the three are actually not six invitational merch. That's just normal merch that this company sells. And I mean, this is one of those high-end boutique gamer companies that sell shit that are that expensive. And I mean, give it a rest. He'll wind himself down. Just keep going. I can't wait for the audio people to hear that and just not understand. That's Canadian barking, by the way. Anyway. Um, Harvey. I deleted the tweet yesterday because like I said, I... I yeah, of course. You can mute. I'm just... I'm going to talk for a second here anyway. Uh, I deleted the tweet because I was wrong, but that tweet flew. In under 24 hours, I had over 4,000 likes on that tweet knocking Ubisoft and this, this company when I had incorrect information. And this happens all the time. Outrage is peddled and people, they just, they latch onto it. We see it on the subreddit, we see it on Twitter, et cetera. Meanwhile, I did a, I did a Twitter thread basically saying that COVID is causing reverberations all across esports. Cloud9 has shed a couple rosters. Chaos is dropping all of their teams. CSGO in North America is basically dead. Teams are even somewhat hesitant to get into Valorant as of late. We've seen some downsizing from League of Legends franchise teams as well. And all of this is happening across all of esports. Every single esports scene is seeing salaries drop in Overwatch, despite Overwatch League having the endorsements and, and the promotions that they have. Players are getting shed left, right, and center. You can't really pull out. But every single esport is getting crushed by COVID right now, and we are no exception. You should always pull out, though. But... 
okay. just had to mute for that, sir. Go ahead. Thank you for unmuting for that in particular. That was valuable. But anyway, every single esport league in the world right now is experiencing some form of downsizing, scaling back of players, orgs, or salaries. And I understand that obviously our ecosystem is not immune to that, and maybe we have our own unique challenges. But I mean, E United is left with what? E United has two teams, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think E United is only left with a Smite and a Rocket League team. I think they have somebody in the FGC, but I'd have to check. But I mean, the problem is, is that whether it be COVID or not, most, most of these orgs have issues with finding sponsors. Sponsorships are the biggest issue right now. And you said it yourself, sponsorships make up good money. And the problem is, is nobody is getting that. So I can see E United looking at it and saying, we can't afford to be in it and then leave. I mean, even Tempo Storm is a much smaller footprint than they used to have in esports. But let's get back onto the point because I, I just wanted to talk about that for the people that are watching that think that this is just, this is just an issue with, with Rainbow Six. Um, and yeah, some people in chat saying they have a COD team. No, E United did not get into CDL. E United does not have a CDL spot. So, anywho, um, the, the I think it was the GM of E United, Seth, said that the way that Tempo handled it was the exact same way that E United handled it. So somebody here is 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 potentially lying because. Tempo basically said, we notified Ubisoft that we were exploring options to like to give up our license and, and either transfer our players or sell that license to another org. E United are claiming on Twitter that they did the same thing, but they uh, were basically told by Ubisoft, take a hike, whereas Tempo was told, okay, take your time. From my understanding, now, you, you I, and Troy, we don't, I mean, a lot of what we're saying is speculation. Uh, Obviously, we don't know everything that like the GMs and the owners and whatnot do. So, you know, when when we talk about it, it's not like we're saying it as a fact. But in regards to the United and Tempo situation, I had heard and I know from some of their players that Tempo Storm one had let Ubisoft know a while ago that this was something they were planning for or considering, and that. They also were talking to the players about having to take a new contract, which basically paid them no money, but they were able to stay at the team house and stuff like that. And that that was in discussion for a month or so. So Tempo was planning to either, from the way I see it, Tempo was either planning that the players take this contract where it wasn't paying them anything, but they would feed them and put them in the house or whatever, which obviously that's not great. Or they would have to leave because, again, it wasn't sustainable for them. But that they had let Ubisoft know ahead of time, I think, that this was what their plan was or what they were considering doing. Where I think in a United situation, they got whatever news they got, went to Ubisoft, and maybe maybe they did say, can we sell our license? And that was like, and they were like, no. They was like, okay, we're leaving. Like, rather than, like, you know, some sort of plan thought out, again, that's why I describe it as more of a panic. Because as far as I know, the United players had no idea about any of this happening. They had no contract discussions. Nothing was brought to them besides United just being like, yeah, we're gone. So I think it comes more to United handled it in more of a, 
we got to get something done as soon as possible fashion. And Tempo Storm was handling it in more of a thought out, trying to make it work, but understanding that it, it probably, if it doesn't, we attempt to do something here situation uh, is how I see it. Yeah. What do you mean from, this, Troy? Because I, I know obviously you have a unique perspective as a player. I, I don't know too much. Like, I know basically kind of what Seth said. Like, I know very little about the United side. I had heard the same things about the Tempo side, though. Um, But I feel like just the fact that I know more about the Tempo side, like, that almost says something. Um, There was, like, a lot of back-and-forth discussion, to my knowledge. And, yeah, like... Right the 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 idea of like that contract where like they stay in the house and they don't get paid like i had heard about that and i had heard about that for a while like that that was potentially what tempo would have to do or else they were leaving the game um but as the united side like i think i like heard rumors of like an org orgs leaving and then like next thing you know they were gone you know yeah and like that that even shows something to like the players because like the players were even kind of blindsided by it it seemed like right like me be found out over twitter like i was i was told i was told that supposedly it was communicated to them shortly before the announcement went out but it wasn't done via email and i mean i don't know about most people but the only thing other than text messages that i receive on my phone the only thing that I get instant notification of and I'm inclined to check are emails. And it's also shortly. So it's not like, it's not like a tempo situation where this is maybe transpiring over weeks. Yeah. It's like maybe a day before like, Hey, we're out. Yeah. Good luck the United to goes to them on like, let's yeah. say like the night. Cause it was the 11th was when they left. Right. Uh, Cause I remember I was filming retake uh, with Flynn and I think we filmed on November 11th remembrance day. And we were sitting there and the news broke while we were filming. So let's say the night of the 10th, like United says, we're out. You know, Ubisoft has a day, if that, to kind of make this clear. And then it goes out, you know, to the players in the morning. Depending on what time it gets sent at, you know, gamer hours, there's a good chance they might not even be awake. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, I, I think it was, the whole situation was a mess. And I mean, that's what I tweeted about. I, I said that, the way the situation was handled by all sides seemed to be very sloppy. And I think that is open for criticism. And it's interesting now because the one thing that I don't want coming from this discussion is that we don't think players deserve to be paid appropriately because, I mean, we've talked at length about how orgs come in and then want to pay their players garbage. But the one thing that we've talked about many times on this show, and I think I, I, I've talked about it a lot on my own and I don't know if you two have as well is there are players that have three to 6,000 followers on Twitter that don't stream. They do no supplementary content. They're average at their roles at best. They have no real discernible or unique personality and that they command a pay rate that is similar to their peers who are on teams that are constantly winning the players themselves on the other teams are better at their roles. They have a much larger footprint on social media and they actually create content. Well, are... I think one thing Siege needs to get out of is what they do in most of the other games. It's like, as far as I know, the majority of the Siege teams, like if one guy gets a certain amount, everybody on the team gets that. Like, Shouldn't be the case. 
the, that's all not the how players you, should be people paid should individually. be making different amounts of money because people have different values yep. um that's just how i see it though not sure that that would necessarily change anything because then maybe some people are getting a ridiculous amount and some people are getting a little amount so it probably evens out to be the same cost for the teams but i don't think that like every like for instance like on e united uh, or, or like for tempo storm i don't think creators should have been getting paid the same as you know like jarvis and crazy no offense to them like clearly he was a more valuable player he should have been making more money than him and then like you yeah. know they don't need to be making 5k they could be making 3k and the creators get 6k you know that kind of thing like i, I definitely think that we we need to move past the like Oh, uh, you don't want to hurt everybody's feelings. Everybody makes the same. Like that's no sport is like that where everybody makes the same. You're better players, you're more marketable players. They make more money. That's just how it works. It it, it makes yeah. no sense. Like I mean, and I know that this caused this caused a bit of a rift on C9, right? Because the rumor that I heard was that Goddess was getting paid whether it was in her own in terms of salary or in terms of additional endorsements, she was getting paid more than other players on the team. And the rumor that I heard at the time was that it caused a rift with the team, whether the players didn't think she deserved to be paid that much or whether they deserved to be paid more. And I got to say, think it like, was, I don't think it was that she was getting paid more. I think that she was having more endorsement opportunities and certain other people on that team loved the spotlight and they didn't think that she should be getting that spotlight because they were a better player than she was. That's okay. That's a probably a fairer way of describing it and what i'll say is tough shit for those other players you know if if cloud nine looked at goddess and thought that she was either more marketable or was worthy of more endorsements or promotion etc then i think that means that the other people either need to do better or they need to chill the fuck out we have we have so few genuinely good personalities in rainbow six and i mean we have a list of people that we want to talk to on six on six it's really not that long of a list if we're being totally honest. Because a lot of people that are suggested for this show, frankly, would not be entertaining for three to four hours. We just don't. And then players, players don't want to stream. They don't want to come on shows. They don't want to do interviews. And I've had players that have either been kicked from teams or their teams have been relegated or they've had issues with orgs leaving that have DM'd me and been like, I don't know what to do next. And I'm like, well, what you do is you go back in time and you start actually having a personality three years ago. But it's not that easy. Start streaming, get a webcam, be more entertaining in interviews, learn how to handle yourself on a camera, and orgs will start to value you more. It doesn't matter how good you are. And I said this on the show with Pengu, easily could be the most dog shit player on the planet, but the fact that he has a personality, a persona, he streams and all that jazz will make him more valuable than his game built, than his game and, and the way that he is in, in the server, period, it will. You know, even Goddess, she had she had suboptimal stats in a number of games on her role, but guess fucking what? It doesn't matter because she was marketable and orgs liked her and players liked her and her stream did well and she had a personality. So she was a commodity that was wanted in Pro League. And a lot of these players don't get that. They just don't. I agree. Something uh, you you kind of went for a while there, but something you were saying earlier on about like basically the teams getting paid so much, especially in NA, like the lower end teams, 
like I always thought that was a big problem. Like from the very start is that because like we got signed with EG and like we were the first team to get like a big org in NA. I guess no Rogue as well. Rogue was before that and they like they were playing paying their players well and everything. Um but it was the fact that like as more and more orgs started to come in, like no matter how bad the team was, like they were trying to get paid the same as us. And like I'm gonna be honest, like guys weren't as good as us. Like I I, I know I sound like a fucking asshole saying it, but like I don't know. The, you you the have fault to have there goes to the orgs, I feel like. I don't know why, like, I guess maybe the orgs, like, just really wanted to get into the game, but, like... Yeah, that's yeah. it. Because the, the game was growing, like, I mean, obviously this past year is a little bit of a bad year, but in a normal year, the game has is seen as, like, a borderline tier one esport. You know, there there are, you do have skins and stuff in the game, so, like, I think there's, like, a want of orgs to get in the game of of a, like, upcoming game. And so they're willing to overpay because they think that the exposure will help them. Yeah. And some of them get that exposure and some of them learn like, okay, your team is fucking shit. Nobody gives a shit about you being in the game. Your team is horrible. Yeah. So you're just paying these guys to get seventh place every time. How are you going to sell that to a sponsor? Yeah, we don't make any lands. We don't make any majors. We don't make any invites. But we're always there. We're always seventh place. Like yeah. that. What? How much money are you really going to bring in, like, trying to sell that? Yeah. Like, for example, the this is a good example to use because they're not even in the game anymore, but Rise. Like, Rise they're was a team yeah. that got relegated. They were making more money than us on EG for a point in time. And, like, like they were dead last. Like, and and they were making more. Like, Gio used to make the joke. He's like... Guys, if like if we don't figure like if we don't figure shit out, he's like, fuck it. Like, I'll just go to Rise and I'll just collect my check. Like, because it was it was ridiculous. Like, they didn't they didn't have to do anything. They just like they they fucking sucked, and they just got paid. They didn't they didn't fucking tweet. They didn't stream nothing. They they just were a team. And Rise yeah. made no content for their team, by the way. Well, no, like, the funny thing was is that I I actually know Rise actually had streaming requirements. It was like forty hours a week. But it was like together, so I think one of them actually streamed. I can't remember who was on the team, but one of them actually streamed a lot at the time. So like, I think it might have been Vert. Vert at the time, I think streamed a decent amount. So Vert would stream like thirty hours a week, and the other four guys just like stream them fucking like doing their hair or something for a couple hours, and they collect their checks. It may have been like forty hours a month, even not a week. I remember I, I think it was I think it was SK. SK came in and wanted all of their players to stream ten to twenty hours a week. And you know, at at the time I was opposed to it. At the time I was like, well fuck this, you know, why are they why are you mandating that your players do this? And as I become more familiarized with esports, I think like you shouldn't have to force the players to do it. The players should be doing it on their own. Because yeah. let's be honest. In no esport are you is your performance in the server worth your paycheck? Not CS:GO, not League of Legends, not Dota, not Rainbow Six, nothing. You are not like in Rainbow Six. The way that you play in a server is not worth six grand a month. Are you fucking kidding me? You need to generate content. You need to. And a lot of orgs, you're right. A lot of orgs want to come, and a lot of the players say, "Okay, well, SSG is making you know 4K a month." 
that's how much we want to make. And it's, it's great because I do honestly think it's cool that, that players are making more money. I don't think they should be paid peanuts, but I think it's a little unrealistic for you to play a dozen matches every three to four months and collect well over a middle-class salary while having your housing paid for you. That's crazy. You need to do something to earn that paycheck. I'm sorry. And most of these players don't. And like I said, when you look at teams like Tempo and DG and E United, they don't really have many marketable personalities on them. It's really tough for you to give sponsorships to these orgs when these teams are not super marketable. I think E United out of the three did by far and away the best. I think they were building something pretty decent, actually, with Yeti and Alfama. As weird as yeah. weird of a duo as that is, by the way, I thought that it, it worked out quite well with what they were doing. But I mean, it's a little yeah. too late. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of issues with it. And I think another thing to add on to it was just like the, the overall inflation like just got even worse just because like the top teams now were getting paid like as much as these worst teams so like renegotiations would come around and the top teams are like, well, we should be getting paid more than these fucking guys. And then it got worse and worse and like all, all of a sudden now NAL, like we have to have housing in Vegas. It, I don't know. I Because I know, Seth, you went on about it like NA is like a bad region to be in right now just because it's so fucking expensive. Like you have to have a yeah. team house and then you have to have like a competitive salary with these ridiculous fucking salaries. The R6 tiering does not make sense to technically be an NAL at all. But obviously there's more marketability in NAL, but it's just like we're at the point where it's like it has to be reasonable. And that's, I think, a question of if it can be or not. Yeah. The my perspective on R6 share, and, and I mean obviously this will upset the people at Ubisoft who designed it, is that if you're an NAL and you're expected to have a team house and take care of your squad and pay them much better salaries because NA is the best paid region by a by a very large margin, then I see no reason why the expectation for those eight teams would not be tier one. I mean, we are, us and OXG are tier three. We that, get yeah. less money. We get less money than the Pittsburgh Knights do in APAC. And let me tell you something. They're playing in APAC. There's not a Pittsburgh in Australia. Why do you think they went there? Because they pay those guys what one of us makes in a month for their whole roster. But they're getting more money from Ubisoft than our org does or OXG. How does that make any sense at all? When when they did the tiering, they they did not take into factor the differences in economy of the regions. Yeah. Because it, and this is no offense to Brazil, but even in Brazil, those teams should not be tiered higher than NA or EU. It just costs way more money to be an EU or an NA and NA especially because you need team houses. I mean, most of the LATAM teams in Brazil have team houses and have for quite a while. But like, to be what fair. is the cost? I understand that, but I'm not talking about like they shouldn't have these things. I'm talking about what is an acceptable amount for those orgs to get back that makes sense for, you know, you could put Brazil teams in tier two and that's enough money where they can pay those guys. They can have a nice house, all that stuff. You put us in tier three, you put United tier two, you put, you know, it, along with the Pittsburgh Knights and elevate in tier two. 
and you're just like, do these guys even care about NA? How can you say, yeah, good luck, guys. Have a sustainable team when you're getting less money than the Pittsburgh Knights. We're getting the same same money as Cyclops Gaming. Yeah. Like, one player on any of our teams makes more than the majority of those in rosters combined. But the, they get more or the same money. I mean, I think... I I think, and you're going to upset a lot of regional fans, and judging by the chat, you've already done that, so... I will say Still that... Live. I will say that if the expectation... And, and I don't, I mean, I don't think any of us, uh, you might, I don't know the requirements that are needed to separate the three tiers. Obviously, the assumption would be that tier one really takes care of their players. They put in a good application slash good bid. You know, they maybe have a team house. They've got facilities or staff. They probably have a content creator or at least multiple content creators, etc. But at the end of the day, the thing that, what, the thing that matters to me for our six share there's two, well, two things, actually. The first one is just if you are, as an org, being forced to pay for a team house, and then likely whatever comes with it, whether it be staff, whether it be paying for groceries, whether it be paying for a nutritionist, whether it be paying for, you know, a personal trainer or personal trainers, etc., and also paying a competitive salary because there, there are no bad, badly paid teams in NA right now then I don't see a reason why you wouldn't be team one or tier, or tier one. That makes no sense to me. From my from my perspective, the reason it's not tier one is because there are limited spots in tier one, tier two, tier three. I so, mean, sure. if they, if, so if they come back and say, yeah, all eight of the NA teams are tier one, there's two spots left in tier one. E EU, e EU not like the EU region, Fnatic and APAC, NIP and MIBR and uh, Liquid and Brazil are going to be like, oh no, we're Liquid. Oh no, we're fanatic. Oh no, we're G2, et cetera, et cetera. We're tier one or we're getting the fuck out of here. I mean, I would also argue that there's obviously a lot of work that needs to go in, right? You need to create an entire skin. You need to create a uniform headgear, gun, charm. It's a fair amount of work. And I don't think many of us seem to realize how much work goes into design and stuff like that. But I mean, there's no reason to me why there, there shouldn't be a limit on tier one. And I know logistically ignorantly and logistically that could be impossible maybe they just don't have the manpower at ubisoft to design those many skins i don't, I don't think it's a i don't think it's a matter of the skins i think it's a matter of the money because the tier one teams get a higher percentage of the money so if there's an ups if there's a disproportionate amount of teams in tier one then they're taking money from the other teams now the question is is if you do more tier one teams and do less tier three teams and you just put like no offense, but like a lot of the APAC teams in tier three, where they're not making that much money, those are still sustainable amounts of money they're getting back, probably. I think sustainability is the name of the game. And this is what started off this conversation was, is the NA League sustainable? Because you pointed it out earlier on, and it's a, it's a very good point, is that most esports don't make money. Your goal is to shrink the losses to the smallest possible amount and then hope to recoup that either as a loss leader or through merch or through sponsorships, etc. Trying to eat $200,000 a year on a team is just flat out not sustainable. And I mean, I know that that was a hypothetical number, but right. if you look at NA, if I'm an org and I want to invest in NA, and I say this as an NA caster, the first question I'm going to be saying is, how the fuck do I make this money back? Because you're right with the numbers. Some of these teams are spending 40 to 50 grand a month minimum. 
minimum. And it doesn't matter how many games are or aren't getting played. That alone is a huge amount. And some of these orgs don't really take a big cut of winnings. COVID has only made this worse. I mean, we yeah. can we can talk about the we can talk about the global pandemic all we want, but I still have to wonder how sustainable this is without a pandemic. I also don't want to like keep just talking about this forever and going in circles. But if you look at like League of Legends, right? All of the big orgs basically are in NA and EU. Your two major regions are going to carry the most viewership for the most part. Obviously, that's not you know, I'm not saying that's 100% of a fact, but they're the most marketable regions most of the time for NA and EU. So you should be making your NA and EU regions the most attractive to the big orgs. If you look at our game, we've got Liquid, NIP in Brazil. We've got Fnatic and APAC. You, you know, we have a lot of big, and then there's just big orgs not even in our game that I'm sure that I know have been interested because it's not attractive to a lot of the big orgs to come into the major regions. Or we have Cloud9 and APAC. Like, we have huge orgs in our game, but they're not in the, the like, the two major most marketable region, EU and NA, because it just doesn't make economic sense, where, truthfully, they should be steering these orgs to these regions, because it drives up your viewership to have the bigger orgs. It brings more marketability. Other big orgs, you know, we I didn't even mention, we have FaZe in Brazil. The other big orgs are going to see that Oh, Liquid, FaZe, Cloud9, they're all in NA? Well, this is going to get a lot of viewership. Let's, I, I, Complexity, Envy, I want to be in NA too. We don't have that right now. You know, I, I'm on the Sonics. It's a good org, but we're small. You know, Dark Zero, they're a great org, but they're small. Tempo Storm, you know, they're a smaller org. No offense to them. We've got TSM, we've got SSG. That's all you have in NA as, ter as in terms of like a giant like org driving all the viewership you need the big orgs in your regions to drive viewership and interest because that's where the, in esports it's the same as like the orgs themselves carry fans with them and, and we don't have that because all of the big orgs are steered all across the place because of just money reasons because it's not attractive enough to be in e or in na and it doesn't make sense because for the success of your game for the longevity of your game you should want the most attractive, the biggest orgs, the, the marketability in these two regions. And we don't have that. I'm, uh, I think you, you, think you uh, were right when you said we won't want to talk in circles here. The other thing, too, is that we don't always know the full extent of the financial situations that a lot of these orgs are going through. I mean, as much as we want to call this a, a big eSport, we are, we are unfortunately not a must-invest-in like you'd see with maybe CSGO or maybe League, right? And if if an esports org has a portfolio of teams, Rainbow Six might be one of the first ones to get cut, especially if they're paying a disproportionate amount for what they feel is the value of the team. So, I mean, we're, we're a good esport, and, you know, I think we're solidly tier two. But if, you, if you're looking at all the esports teams you have, and you know, it costs you pennies to be in the FGC. Don't worry about it. Stay in that. If it costs you pennies to have a Rocket League team, stay in that. You know, Smite, if you're getting paid to be in Smite, then obviously you stay in that. You look at your CSGO team, well, that's a huge footprint. If you leave CSGO and you're left with a Rocket League, FGC, and Smite team, 
your your presence in esports dries up really fast. Well, then you look at Rainbow Six and we're in that kind of middle ground, which Rocket League, I think, has now worked its way into as well. And you think, well, if I want to be in North America, unless I'm getting paid a lot of money, I'm sinking a shit ton of money into this. Whereas our Rocket League team, they can all live at home. It's not a huge cost. Some developers are helping us pay the bill outside. FGC costs us nothing. Well, in, in that sense, it's a no-brainer. The Rainbow Six team's got to go. We are not a staple esport where you need to have a Rainbow Six team the same way that you need to have a Call of Duty, League of Legends, Overwatch, Dota team, CSGO team, maybe Valorant team now. It just doesn't work that way. So unfortunately, like we're getting cut. Anywho, the tempo and E-United situation are there. Obviously, the hope is, is for the players to get a home at some point. And this now brings up the topic that everybody's been looking forward to which is uh, the drama slash rumors surrounding the Sonics. Uh, there were a bevy of sad, what many would consider to be bait gifts shared on Twitter. And then was soft confirmed by your tweet saying that you have no ill will for Gomfy, Sleb, and Iconic or easily, and that you had no problem playing with them. This is the part that everybody's been looking forward to. Have the Sonics cut those four members from the roster? Uh, so officially, I can say that easily iconic Gonfi and Slevin have been benched by the organization, and organization is, you know, uh, I don't know any of their individual plans or whether you know any of them want to keep playing or stop playing, whatever it may be. But the organization is working you know, with interested parties or what may be to try to accommodate any of them individually in finding a new roster. Um, obviously, if you're not familiar with the transfer window, the transfer window of Rainbow Six is not until February, I believe. So anything officially cannot even happen until February. Uh, but going forward, uh, the four of them will no longer be playing for the Sonics. So how does this impact the qualifiers for the Six Invitational? Uh, we will not be playing the Invitational Qualifier through Closed. We still have the option to play it through Open uh, with new players. I'm unsure if we plan on doing that as of now. Um, but we do have the option to play it. We just will have to play through the Open Qualifier part. Obviously, we'd have much less practice, etc. But we do have the option to play, I guess. Would you be playing under the... You'd have to play under the Sonics brand, would you not? Um, that I'm unsure of. I think we could play as like not this because we don't because technically the Sonics hold a seed, but we'd just be forfeiting the seed. So I think we could play as like not the Sonics, and then if we were to win, just go as a Sonics. I think. I mean, that's don't quote me on that, but that's the way that I understand it. Obviously, since you have until February, you can't really make any announcements. But you note you noted, and other people have noted that you've been scrimming. I'm assuming you are scrimming with players that you are going to try to add to the roster. I know yep. that you can't share them. Do you have a deadline? Two questions. Do you have a deadline for when an announcement would happen? And more importantly, do you have players in mind that you are certain of would be on the team? Or is this still a constant tryout process where you're just cycling people in and out? Uh, from my perspective, I think we're pretty set on four players and we're still 
trying out a potential fifth again because of the way that Ubisoft has set the uh, the transfer period. We can't make anything official until February. Now, obviously, if we do play like the open qualifier or something, that'll give people an idea of who we're playing with. But officially, nothing can happen until uh, February. And just going back, because I didn't even mention it, but obviously in regards to four guys, uh, none of them were benched uh, for performance-related issues. They're all, you know, very good players. Uh, and I'm sure none of them will have trouble finding other offers that hopefully our org can help facilitate for them. Um, but it was more so a difference of uh, attitude and philosophy that the organization uh, deemed did not align with what the Sonics had in mind going forward. Um, and with so many people available and this long period of time that we have, the organization felt that it was a good time to kind of hit a reset button and get people who are maybe more on board with the Sonics philosophy and the Sonics brand. Um, yeah. I'm curious what you mean by that. So, I mean, obviously I have a, a ton of questions, sure. but uh, what do you mean by align with the brand? Uh, I think there's a sentiment that players on the team are not necessarily did not necessarily care about the org to the extent that maybe they should uh, in terms of um, complaining and things like that about other things that are kind of out of org control. Um, I think there were just attitudes that maybe didn't necessarily mesh well with what the vision was in terms of uh, what the I guess the plans for the future are. I mean, that's, that's a pretty vague answer. Um, I, I'm assuming that you can't really go into too much specifics, but um, I mean, you can, you can rule out that in server slash in game performance was, or was it a factor or a consideration at all? Or is this almost entirely a decision that was made based outside of the server? Uh, yeah, no, it, I don't think it, it didn't have anything to do with in-game performance. I, I will say this personally, I wanted to bench Slubbin, uh, and pick up a different player, uh, because I thought Slubbin did just literally not care at all. He just didn't play the game at all. Um, in general, he's very inconsistent. Um, and I think that was part of the reason why, um, the other three guys, we were more than happy to, or at least I, I was okay with continuing to play with them. But it became clear that they all kind of bonded and shared the sort of like same idea of like what should be going on. And in my opinion, and I guess in our coach and org's opinion, it was not like one that's going to be sustained success. Like I did not think that they necessarily cared about team. I think it was a lot of individual uh, caring and seems like that. And like, you know, I don't want to like, necessarily call anybody out or anything but yeah it was just um i, I mean we tried out rexon and we were going to pick up rexon and then rexon literally didn't join our team because one of the players on our team was like so passive aggressive towards him when we were trying him out and that's like even in tryouts uh so it just was like conflicting attitudes and that going on within the team um 
from my point of view, we did not work nearly hard. Like, from my point of view, I still think that we're probably better in OXG. We just never played them, so that's just my thought. But I think we would beat OXG if we played them. We just never did. But um, I didn't think that we were putting in the necessary work to actually become any better than that. I mean, we would try to schedule things like VOD review, stuff like that, and people would have a hard time coming in at 2 p.m to do things like that like we had certain people on the team would complain about coming in at 4 p.m for seven o'clock scrim uh, i try to get people to do vod review and some of the people on the team did not think that was helpful to do vod review uh so it was just it, it honestly i think they're all very good players i think they're all deserving of being in pro league um so hopefully i hope they're able to find their own spots but it just not it just did not mesh here uh, with what with what our org wanted. And I just want to be clear, too. It's not like people seem to have this idea that I just dropped everybody. Like, that's I don't have that power. I can't just, like, our org spends hundreds of thousands. Any org is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to be in the game. Like, the org is aware of the statistics. They're aware that I'm the worst performing player on the team. Now, I could say certain reasons for that, but the org deem me more valuable than they are. Because I have a better attitude, I guess. I mean, I can't speak for them, but it just, I, it's not like I just like, yeah, I don't want to play with these guys anymore. Let's get rid of them, bring in some new people. Like, that's just what happened. It you is just, what it you is. You just called up your dad, right? Yeah, I just said, hey, dad, I know you own a real estate company and you have, you're 60 years old and have no idea what's going on in esports besides when I tell you I'm playing, but I need to call in a favor. This this sheds good light, and and I I want to start off by saying that as somebody who I don't really know Slebin and Iconic super well, but I know Gomfi and and I easily in particular pretty pretty well. What I'll say is that I mean I like all of them, but the the thing that a lot of the viewers here don't get, and I'm not saying this to confirm what you're saying, because I don't know what the Sonics were like. I don't know what the team was like behind the scenes. I don't know what these players are like to scrim with, etc. All I do is really get the same kind of content that everybody else gets other than the conversations here and there at events or DMs. But a lot of viewers are not able to put together that your work ethic and your relationship with the people on your team is oftentimes more valuable in a team setting than your performance. Yeah, I mean, I see people in chat. When I said valuable, I'm not talking about, like, some marketability. That has nothing to do with anything. Like, uh, when I said valuable, I'm talking about, like, within the metrics of a team environment, not, like, my Twitter followers or anything like that. Like, I, <laughs> people are quick to jump the gun. But, yeah, I mean, in no way am I more marketable than easily or anything like that. It just was, unfortunately, easily, and the rest of them did not fit what the org uh, – believed in going forward in terms of philosophy and what what we're hoping uh environment wise we can achieve this is my time to bring troy into the conversation because troy it is our weekly hockey reference moment and we'll cool. talk about locker room cancer and mm -hmm. from your perspective in hockey if you'd like to shed some light on what that term means and how it plays into a team yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it. I feel like it's common knowledge of like how teams work, just 
attitudes are are contagious and like if you, if someone has a bad attitude it's going to it's going to affect everyone else on the team especially like if it's overpowering right like especially if you have two sides of it where like some people are trying to be on on one side probably a more positive attitude and some people are trying to be negative and then one tries to tell the other hey we need to be this way and the other just fights back with it and wants to remain negative and stubborn i mean you're just going to you're going to end up separating people. And from the sounds of it, like it sounds like there was just kind of two differing ideologies of the team, like four people separated, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I'm not on the team. I don't know what anyone's thinking or anyone's attitudes are. I've never played with anyone from the Sonics. Uh, so I don't, I don't know much in that sense, but I do know like that, that sort of thing happens. Like it divide, it divides teams. Um, it's happened in the past in teams I've been on. Um, people people kind of group up just because, yeah, different ideologies and just different attitudes where, yeah, people people kind of just group together with, uh, with kind of what they think is right, I guess. And, I mean, I guess you can make arguments in both directions with how things should be, but at the end of the day, yeah, like it's the Sonic's choice. They're, they're going to what they want to invest their money in, like that's up to them. Right. Um, the ideology and the, and, and the attitude that they want to put their money behind, that's their choice. Yeah. And I just want to say too, that I like in terms of the guys on the team, I don't have any, like, I, I consider them all friends relatively. Like, obviously I wasn't close as them. I, I'm older, so I don't maybe necessarily care about the same things, but, um, in terms of like everybody on there, I did enjoy playing with them for the most part. I think sometimes, you know, there there was like passive aggressiveness and like pressure and stuff like that. But that's gonna be on like every team at some parts. But, um, but you know, everybody on the team I consider my friend. I didn't dislike anybody or anything like that. It's unfortunate that this is how it had to be. But at the end of the day, the org made that call, and we'll move on with a new roster. And you know, uh. Hopefully we'll be able to put up, uh, you know, better or comparable results. Yeah. I, I do want to ask because you took a lot of heat on social media because of the way it used to work in the olden days is that the teams would drop players, not the orcs. You know, the old three fifths rule for those that were not aware that was governing the roster spot in ESL, which has now changed under face it and Ubisoft's new league structure was that the way it used to work was that three-fifths of the team had to stay together. 99% of the time, I mean, your case was different when it came to Rogue, as you spoke about. Whether your team wanted to drop you or not, Rogue can make that decision. Technically, I guess the orgs can make that decision, but most of the roster moves that were made under the old three-fifths rule that ESL used was three to four members on the team would make a decision, and then one or two people would go. And it was almost always a team decision, at least from most of the roster moves that I'd heard of. In this case now, with the licensing the way it works, the other the, the orgs really have the final say. So in this circumstance, you took a lot of heat on social media for it. How does this decision come about? You ax, or well, bench. Four of the five people on the team, you're the last man left standing. You yourself have said that you had the lowest stats on the team. How does that decision come about? Um, I, 
I think like part of it is obviously is that like the org deem that those four maybe not individually but all together had the wrong attitudes. Uh so like if it was a situation where it was like me or them, uh not even saying it was, but like if that was a situation, they did not have the mindset that the org believed in, I guess. Uh like they didn't like I've said maybe the org didn't necessarily believe that they were willing to put in the work or whatever it may be. You know, I can't really speak for the org's mindset there, but I, I think it just came down to like, they know that I'll put in the time and I'll try to do my best. Uh, and, and by no means am I like, am I the best player or anything like that? Like, uh, no, I don't really think I was playing the right roles. I think I'm better in like mute and smoke and just like hard breach. And I wasn't playing any of those, uh, but we'll see going forward. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's an org decision. And uh, I think people are quick to blame me, obviously, because I'm kind of the face of the org. I've been around here for two years, basically, since the org started. Uh, and then there's the meme that, like, my dad has something to do with the org, which is just not true at all. I, you know, I'm sure I'm friends with uh, Darren, the general manager of the org, but I've been here for two years. So, I mean, I just know him. but at the end of the day, Darren and the Sonics are investing hundreds of thousand dollars into Rainbow. You're not going to like make what you think is a stupid decision because of a friendship, right? So like the org clearly thought there were issues within the attitude or philosophies or whatever it may be, work ethic, whatever you want to call it. And they decided this was a good opportunity to move forward with a different roster. And, uh, you know, my, my allegiance is to the org. And that's just how it goes. If you don't mind me asking, and if you're comfortable sharing, how does that news get broken to you? That you're about to um, lose your four teammates. I, I was told, I was basically said like, this is what we're thinking. Um, and obviously I had some questions, uh, mainly about, if we did this, who the hell would be on our team? Like, who could we get? Because, you know, I don't necessarily want to play with the fucking, like, Bad News Bears just pulling people off the streets. So that was my number one concern. It's like, okay, if we did this, can I get people who can perform the same or better or, you know, a different philosophy? And we talked about it. And, you know, our coach has done some interviews with some people and kind of gained judge their philosophies and their mindsets and think we found some good fits. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just brought to me and this is what we're going to do. Or do, what do you think about doing this? And, you know, I was even offered the, uh, if I wanted to go into like, if I wanted to step down too and just replace the entire team and I'll go into management and like kind of be in charge of the team, the rainbow six section. And I kind of thought, like, after the last season, I wanted to play another season because I don't feel like I played my best last season. I also don't think I was on the roll, so I just want to try playing what I actually play and see how that works. Um, but, yeah, it was it was never a me-against-them thing. I think they were gone, the whole like, all along. Like, it was never a question of it's either me or them. I think it's a question of they're gone. Do you want to keep playing? And... I decided I want to keep playing. I think IGL is so uh, it's hard to find good IGLs. I believe I am a good IGL. And I think I can be a better IGL on roles that help facilitate that a little bit more and being on the flank. But, you know, 
at the end of the day, uh, all we can do is judge by results. And I guess we'll see what happens if this turns out to be a disaster or if the Sonics look like geniuses. Uh, obviously, right now, people are upset. You know, a lot of them have guys have fans who performed well, but I'm sure they'll be able to find teams and it is what it is. You have a general idea of what you want with this roster. If you've already got three that you said have basically settled in, you're only looking for one more. Right. It doesn't seem like it took that long for you to find these players. How, you know, how much of that was you? How much of that was Joe, bro, your coach? How much of that was circumstances? Because, you know, you've now got E United in tempo with these 10 free agents. They're just kind of floating. Yeah, I mean, uh, Obviously, I can't mention names because nothing can be confirmed, but with a lot of people technically free agents, I'm able to act like I can't contact somebody on a team, right? That's against the rules. So with all the people being free agents, I'm able to contact them. Our coach is able to contact them. So you can read into that what you want, but we're looking at like the current free agent pool. And, you know, there are some talents there. Uh, that I think are really good fits here. I let, you know, that get along well, that fit the philosophy our coach talked to them about to see if they uh, match what we're thinking. And uh, so far, so good. You know, we've, we scrimmed a couple times and obviously it's just a couple times, but um, in my opinion, I think I, I see no reason why we can't be as good or better going forward. But at the end of the day, you know, it's like I said, you can't really judge anything until you see the results. Have you scrimmed him, Canadian? No. Our our team's been on a break ever oh. since the major. So. Okay. I was going to yeah. say, without giving anything away, how, how are they doing? But obviously. Yeah, I got no idea. Yeah, we scrimmed, we scrimmed a Tier 3 team, and we scrimmed a team that will probably be in Pro League. And both went pretty well. But again, we're just we have no strats. We're just running around trying out rules and stuff like that, so... With all, the, what it is. with all the praising that you've done of kicks on Twitter, am I should I be worried? I can't tell you that. He has to break it to himself. <laughs> Do you think imagine. this plays... Sorry, what were you going to say, Troy? I was just saying imagine. Imagine, I'm yeah. just I'm just hoping Jolton's on the team. Kicks, and I, kicks me and Jolton are the three stooges. We're back. We're, we're going crazy. <laughs> Just reunite you with, just throw crazy on the roster as well, right? No. No, you can't, <laughs> you can't even, you can't even make a joke about it. That's too far. Oh, do you think, do you think that part of the, the criticism that you've received is in part due to your persona as being a villain? And would you consider your role in the Rainbow Six community to be that of a villain? Uh, I think in both instances, yes. Obviously, as a villain or whatever you want to classify it as, you're not as well-liked. Uh, I mean, I saw somebody say on Reddit, like, you know, you're not a marketable person if you're disliked. And I kind of, you know, respond to that. It's just like Donald Trump got 80 million votes and he had 85 million against him. But if half the people like you and half the people don't, there's still a lot of people that like you. So, you know, for all the people that don't like me, I don't really give a shit for the people that do. Thank you. Uh, but I'm always going to catch more heat. If I do bad, it'll always bring more attention. If I do good, people are going to say like, Oh my God, super did good. It just, it's, 
it's just the way it is because of the way that I portray myself. But at the end of the day, I could literally give no fucks what anybody thinks about me. Um, it's kind of something I think you learn as you get older is as long as you're happy with yourself, that's really all that matters. Um, anybody else's opinion about you doesn't matter. Today, uh, as we now transition off of the roster situation because you can't really talk about that i mean i guess i could get i do kind of want your opinion on this troy the upheaval of turning over four of the five spots how much of a challenge does that present for super as an id as an igl and just in general do you think that that's an opportunity for a team to grow do you think it will take time what are your just general well, before thought. before he starts i do just want to say one thing it's like part of the reason that this is doable is because officially we don't have another match until march right yeah. like i don't think pro league even starts for march so i mean obviously we do have the opportunity to qualify for invitational but we don't have an official game for four months almost three months so there's a lot of time to like figure stuff out and there's going to be new metas so the game's not even going to be played the same so I think it's honestly a perfect time to like kind of start fresh if you're going to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The only unfortunate thing is like the invitational qualifiers, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, yeah, you have a lot of time to build. I mean, obviously it'll take time. Um, that was the one thing you said, Parker, a hundred percent. It'll take a lot of time, but I, I, I almost want to say like, it's like joining a new team, but I guess there's nowhere to start from. Um, as an IGL, but I don't know. Uh, I feel like no matter what, roster changes are a lot of work. Um, kind of building a team from scratch, I don't know. It's been like so long since I've even done something like that, so uh, I couldn't really imagine it, but definitely would be a lot of work. Uh, but I do think given the circumstances and like what I'm assuming like the type of players that like Seth is looking at, like probably players that in that free agent pool that just kind of had their spot ripped away. Um, I feel like people will be pretty motivated. So uh, I do think that's, that's a big plus. Uh, I feel like it's hard not to be grateful to have that opportunity now, right after you thought you just randomly, not almost randomly, but like out of nowhere, just kind of lost your job. And like your dream of doing this and just kind of giving that second chance almost. I don't know. Uh, I feel like you, you'd have to be pretty stupid to fuck that up. So, yeah. I mean, especially... yeah, I think like, sorry. Well, I was going to say, I think with like me and Kicks and George on the front lines, like it'll bring a lot of interest in as well. <laughs> bring George back. Yo, they got a world champion. They need a world champion to match the firepower. Is this year turned it? This year turned to do Georgie a favor. George got you all that visibility when you were playing with him and my man and all that on stream. I'm bringing get, him back. You get a shot on Aaron now. Now you're pulling him up. Chills. I'm getting. I'm getting chills just thinking about George on the front lines. Inject <laughs> a Valk shotgun. Yep. My God. Watch out. Uh, this obviously has some very large implications to the qualifiers because you were, I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that the you, favorites to win. you were probably sure. the favorites to get a spot at the six invitational. 
And yeah. I, I think I think the one thing that regardless of, of whether people are you know uh upset by this or not, you are giving up essentially a shot at going to SI. You could have very easily hung on to this roster and made changes after SI, but you're not, which I think is crazy. Um, I mean, not good or bad, just crazy. You probably, I mean, it probably would have been you and DG in the finals of the qualifiers. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because, I mean, the only other option, frankly, other than maybe rent-free and Beast Coast would be Mirage. I don't think they're going to be super competitive, but that's probably going to be the final five. Unless Tempo and E United's rosters stay together and just fight through the open quals without representation which from what I understand is not the case that they are going to be doing. Um, so it, you're forfeiting a shot at the six invitational. And even if you were go to th were to go through open quals, you're certainly not the favorite. No matter right. what roster you end up putting up, now it seems extraordinarily likely that Disrupt will be NA's representative at SI in 2021. I would agree with that. I mean, I think they're certainly the favorites now. Uh, I think they could lose because I don't think they're anything special, but I, I do think they have, uh, they're definitely favorites to win. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Do yeah. you think there's a shot that either Beast Coast or Rent Free upset them? Judging off of our scrim yesterday, I would say absolutely not. I think there's a better chance we upset them. <laughs> <To be honest. laughs> uh, oh. Shout out the kitten. Jeez. Um, I want to focus a little bit on your on your Twitter conduct now because obviously that draws a lot of interest and a lot of focus. Um, I mean, I don't think there's a single tweet that you send that doesn't get archived on the Rainbow Six Pro League subreddit just in case you do delete it. Um, how, how much of that is a deliberate act on social media? How much of that is authentic? If you don't mind me asking, because everybody knows in terms of like deleting tweets or just me tweeting, just, in just everything. I mean, because obviously like you tweeting something and then immediately deleting it and somebody calls you out for it and you say, I know you all are saving it anyway. So, yeah. I mean, all of Twitter to a certain extent is performative. It's theater how much of that is authentic and how much of that is or how much of that is calculated in regards to what you post and all that jazz on on social media for the, for the most part i don't do anything that's not thought of ahead of time uh i mean for people that don't know about me i have a master's degree in journalism i specialize in like media broadcast so um i kind of know what i can and can't say and i kind of know like Obviously, at this point, I know it gets people riled up. Um, like I said, I don't really care. But a lot of what I say is, uh, there's, you know, I don't, I don't mean most of it. Sometimes, sometimes I do mean it, but a lot of times it's just to either get people pissed off or, you know, to start a conversation and that kind of thing. But I don't, uh, you know, let me use an example. I tweeted about how hot and cold was doing bad at land. Because DZ is extremely sensitive when you talk about LAN. Let me put it this way. DZ is so sensitive when you mention the word LAN that the owner of their org responded to my tweet to try to roast me about making fun of them on LAN. When the owner of your org's got to come defend you on Twitter about the word LAN, you're pretty sensitive about the topic. So if I know there's things like that, 
and maybe get in your head a little bit that just gonna rile some people up i'll go for that because that's funny to me if anything it's entertaining you know at the end of the day twitter's a platform for me to just like be entertaining it's not ever going to be serious to me it's twitter it's people on the internet uh but yeah i mean 98 percent of the time i don't i don't mean what i say and i'm not saying something with like uh i guess like hate or anything like that if i'm making fun of somebody because most of the people i'm for like i have good relationships with the majority of pro players and i make fun of a lot of them there are a couple that don't like me but that's because they're more sensitive than others but that's just how it goes will you admit that zach bested you in that roast battle on twitter i would say the the just the fact that he replied to that tweet he lost himself just the fact that me making fun of hot and cold playing on land Got those guys so upset that the owner had to try to argue with me on Twitter. I feel like I won just by him replying. Because that just shows me how sensitive they are about land. That just shows me that it's deep in their head. It's deep in the train of thought that they can't perform on land. I mean, I thought his response was kind of funny. It was it definitely funny. was. I, Zach's response was but incredible. I, but I also, I also see Seth's point of view on it. Because, yeah, I don't know. All I'm saying is if someone roasts me on Twitter, my org owner better not be replying and fucking trying to fight my battle, you know? You're not, like, you're I'll, not, you're I'll, not I'll, going to I'll, I'll go and post the sledgehammer myself, man. Like, Sean Durris is going to get a bunch of, like, 12-year-olds to fucking roast my shit. I'm going <laughs> ratio- to be ratioed to you've never, like, you've never seen before. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a fair characterization of Zach. The one thing I will say is that Zach, unlike a lot of org owners, does take a very active and I would say uh, considerable amount of, of interest in our scene. And he does. Oh, I like Zach. I think he's great for the scene. I just think in that specific instance, that was a think, good look. I think shit talk should remain between players. I like seeing org owners shit talk each other. I'm all in. Well, for yeah, that. that's that's like all in for different. that. What? Okay, like, but to be fair, the, Carlos... part like part of the reason I say this is like like for example, like when I posted the trophy room thing, like Zach was the one that came and fired back. You know, that's I don't true. Know. But okay, don't... But, but Carlos does the same thing for G two, and people love him for it. Does he do it like directly with players though? I don't know if he does it with players, but he does like, it with... I feel like he does it at orgs and at teams, which is different. I also think he does it with media personalities because he's gotten involved with Jake from the eSports yeah. talk show quite a lot. And I've seen Carlos respond to just random people and just torpedo them I as agree. well. I don't think I've seen him do it just like directly with players, though. I mean, sure, maybe. I, I don't, I've never, I don't follow Carlos's content enough but i do know that there are esports org owners who are very much embedded in their scene um and, and i can't begrudge zach's activity in fact i will say as much as as much as i understand super's point too if an org owner has to step in to fight your battles because your players can't that's not a good sign but it depends on the brand if carlos steps in to say something stupid that's his brand like people yeah. know he does that does Zach do that consistently? I don't really know no. if Zach is constantly roasting or memeing on people. So to have him come and 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 say what I think was a pretty great burn, I agree. To, to have him come in and say that, 
I think the question we need to ask is, is that outside of the norm? Is that in keeping with his brand? Like, did he step in because that's just who Zach is? Or did he step in because he was upset by Seth's tweet? So. I don't know. Makes sense. Why doesn't your dad tweet at people, Seth? <laughs> uh, my dad has a Twitter. He has no followers and he only tweets about Trump. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, by the way, but we're speaking of Twitter content right now. And one of your biggest fans, Gotcha, yeah. tweeted just now about you. Gotcha has me blocked, but still ats me in tweets. So that guy's just a humongous pussy. Okay, so anyway, here's what his tweet says. Just because somebody said something in a public forum doesn't make it true. I highly doubt the exquisite work ethic and exclusively positive attitude of Super earned him the only current spot on the Sonics over easily iconic Gonfi and Slevin. It'd be interesting to hear both sides. TLDR, Seth is full of crap and it's hard to believe somebody despised by much of the pro community. Uh, well, one, I don't think I'm despised by more of the pro community than Gotcha is, since Gotcha literally could not get a job in the pro community. Uh, two, I think I'm pretty good friends with the majority of pros. I don't think there's many that hate me outside, like maybe Crazy and Bio. Three, Gotcha literally could not get a job because he kept trying to snake his players off their roster spots. He got fired, put on a team where he got absolutely shit on. Big surprise because he was a fucking fourth place CL player. And then he tried to get a job as a coach again. Oh, and what do you know? Nobody wants a snake coach, but now he's tweeting about a guy that he's got blocked. So I'm, I'm so bothered. I'm so in Gotcha's head that he doesn't, he has me blocked. I can't even see his tweets. He has nothing to do with rainbow. This guy's a fucking like tax man or some shit, whatever the fuck he does. He's still tweeting about me. You're like 40 years old, man. Grow a fucking sack. Nut up. Leave me the fuck alone. I don't know you. What the? What does he think? What does he think? Uh, the reason I said that the other four guys were bench, there's some other. What is it? What? What could it be? Do I own the org? I fucking wish I'd be paying myself a shitload more. What the fuck do you mean? That makes no sense. People are dumb as shit. They're dumb as shit. Fucking gotcha. Go stream Tarkov to 10 people, you fucking loser. Holy <laughs> shit. Stop tweeting me. You guy, the guy failed as a player and he failed as a coach. What's left? A failed streamer? He's working his way. My God. Why is he tweeting me? I can't even see his fucking tweets. He has me blocked. Anyways. I didn't expect you to have uh, those many thoughts. I mean, the guy's a fucking freak. Why? He has me blocked and he's tweeting me. He does nothing to do with Rainbow. What is he even doing in here right now? Uh, amidst all of that, as Chad has just gone nuclear and you have produced enough fertilizer to fertilize the Rainbow Six Pro League subreddit for the next 24 hours, uh, Bio said, I don't hate you in chat, so... I did host him yesterday, so maybe that was like a, an olive branch. You literally bought. You you basically, 
conned your way back into his heart. Yeah. Okay. I'll admit it. Well, I know Troy is a gotcha fan, so I mean, instead of attacking gotcha, I was expecting you more to talk about the content of the tweet, to be completely honest. But... I can't see it. He has me blocked, Parker. I read it to you. I don't, I'm not paying attention to your bullshit. <laughs> I read you the fucking tweet so you would be able to respond to it, not so you would go off and destroy the man. I heard the name gotcha, and I just see red. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about the content of the tweet? I don't remember. What did he tweet again? Holy fuck. Something about, like, Basically, the gist of it. Before, are you going to promise to not just blow up again? No, but you can read it again. Oh, God. Basically, just that just because you said it in public doesn't necessarily make it true that he doubts that your work... I mean, that's fucking... That's everything. Just because, like, obviously, I represent my organization. I'm also trying not to say anything bad about any of those players because I can still consider them friends. I can point out specific instances with everyone where I'm roasting them or calling them out for specific instances, but I'm not doing that either. I'm trying to be as politically correct as I can in both instances to not call out anybody specifically and roast them for anything they specifically done, which could have resulted in them getting benched. And I'm not going to say anything in my org against my org because they pay me. So yes, in both instances, I'm leaving things on the table. But what I said, the reasons for the benching are true. Because why the fuck else would I be on the team? There's no other reason. I don't own the org. I don't, my dad doesn't own the org. I'm not rich. So what the fuck else could it be? Because I'm so handsome? I do have a magnificent beard. I know. But we don't make $100,000 decisions around here because a guy has a great beard. Okay, well, I don't really feel the need to read the rest of the tweet. Uh, I think you covered most of it. Do you feel better? I always feel fine, Parker. As I said, I don't give a shit what people think about me. I'm very happy with myself, baby. <laughs> so once again, this transitions back perfectly into our conversation about your Twitter persona and how you handle this and how most of it is well thought out uh as as you delete these tweets i need to ask why do you, why do you delete so many tweets what is the purpose behind deleting these tweets uh well sometimes i delete them because it's just to one person and they've already seen it other times i already know it's screenshotted it on reddit and then other times you know i don't want my interaction rate down so i just got to get that out. if it if it doesn't hit it's shit get out of here my impression rates are very important. So if it, if it doesn't hit, it's shit. We got to move on and find another banger. I feel that. Yep, that's what I'm talking about. Dude, Troy, you don't tweet. What do you mean you feel that? He does tweet. That's, that's, just, that's why. I only yep. tweet the good ones. He's only got bangers, Parker. Yeah. Doesn't okay. hit, it's shit. I like yep. it. Yep. What's your, what's your threshold for interactions, by the way? You have a, you have like a scale? Uh, probably like, probably at least a hundred likes. If it doesn't hit a hundred likes, it's gotta go. 
Most of the time, yeah. Unless it's make Siege great again stuff, because that's just me retweeting uh, people buying merch and stuff like that. And in that case, thank you for your support, brother or sister. Okay, well, I'm, look, I'm on your... Do you want me to add up how many of your most recent tweets hit 100 likes? Sure. Well, some of them don't count. You can't do tweets. What do you mean like some of I, them don't well, count? Well, when, when I tweet my stream, that doesn't count. <laughs> That's a fair point. When stream I'm tweets tweeting, don't count. Come when on, I'm man. quoting merch tweet, that doesn't count. Everything else is fair game. I'm looking. I will, I will say this. For the amount of times that I technically do tweet and the amount of followers I have, my impressions are way up there. Yeah, chat spamming stop the count right now. That's what I'm talking about. How how did they make up the votes? 700,000 lead in Pennsylvania. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, don't. Where'd they come from? <laughs> Where'd they come from, chat? Why do you do this? Uh... <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are... A lot of them... Yeah, I gotta say, it's mostly just your stream tweets. Yeah. Oh, sorry much. for Jinx DZ fans. 79 likes. Found it. November well, 13th. Well, that's a DZ tweet, so most people don't care about them. That's why that one didn't bang. Where is it? I'll delete it. <laughs> <laughs> like, Go you get can't your screenshots ready. November 13th. It says, sorry for Jinx DZ fans. You retweeted oh, yeah. a tweet. I mean, DZ tweets don't bang. You, you, yeah. Only when you're roasting them. Yeah, only, only if the owner replies to you about land. Okay. It's taken care of. Uh, easily just tweeted that he is retiring from Rainbow Six Pro Play permanently. Oh, shit, really? Just posted by easily R6. My watch has ended. Just want to keep this pretty simple and short as possible as here goes nothing. I will be retiring from Rainbow Six Pro Play permanently, effective immediately. I would like to thank everyone who has supported me on this five-year journey. R6 will always be a huge part of my life. I have been through all the ups and downs of the game, and I sure complain about it, but I love this game, and it's the reason I've met people. I consider some of my closest friends. Also want to give love to all the people I've teamed with an Onslaught, Lethal, Elevate, Infamy, Rogue, and Sonics. There's too many names to list, but to everyone who took a chance on me, thank you. Rogue especially. The two years on Rogue I would consider the best time of my life, and I just want to give a huge thank you to Slash, Tyler, Vert, Geo, Shuttle, and Philippe. I love all those guys. Like I said, I will keep this as short as possible. And to see what the future has in store for me, I will be full-time streaming for now, potentially coaching in the future. I'm going to take a break from streaming, not sure when I will be back, but when I am, I will have a full schedule and all that good stuff. Uh, finally, just want to thank all my fans, the amount of people who sent me messages and tweets all the time, even during my worst days. I appreciate each and every one of you. If you are still here, I promise this is the end, so one more time, thank you. P.S. Shout out to the bar Discord. Don't think I forgot about y'all. Well, I would say that's unfortunate. I definitely think he's good enough to keep playing uh for sure uh but uh i mean i know with playing with him that i don't think he was necessarily enjoying the game as much as in the past i think a lot of people are kind of on that boat um but yeah i mean obviously uh even though it didn't end here maybe like we would want it to i i would still consider him a friend i've teamed with him multiple times and uh you know I i'm sure he'll be a great streamer and if he decides to coach a great coach and to be honest i think he could even be a caster uh so you know i definitely think that just because just because he stopped playing competitively i don't think that means it's the end of the road with rainbow i think there's a lot ahead of for him everybody likes everybody likes kev 
Agreed. Yeah, well, then why did your dad bench him? <laughs> I'm Come kidding. on, man. I'm kidding. Um, gotcha responded to you, by the way, but I don't really care to read yeah. it. So, uh, I'd I read I it, but you know, I'm pussy's I'm, gonna I'm, pussy. I, it's just the chat wants it, but it's just like I don't really want to feed into it. I didn't expect you to go off like that. I expected you to answer the tweet. We would bad. go forever, man. Got the thing is, is gotcha like gotcha, gotcha has absolutely tweeting either. Yeah, the thing you got to realize is like, have you seen the like Cartman World of Warcraft episode? It's like gotcha is Cartman in that episode. He has absolutely no life. This guy has nothing to do with Rainbow. I didn't even read the tweet. He has nothing to do with Rainbow, <laughs> and he's just sitting in here tweeting a guy that he has blocked like just think about it absolutely the guy is married man Here's go do something gotcha man Give it gotcha, a rest. gotcha loves arguing way too much like i love gotcha but that's because like i dealt with him personally i would say if i never dealt with gotcha personally i would hate him because i can't he's got to stop tweeting gotcha loves to tweet he loves to talk shit when he probably shouldn't all that he loves to argue when he should probably stop arguing, but I don't know. It's got you. I I personally love him for it because I think it's hilarious. But that's just how he is. I don't know. Despite my best efforts, the you chat is spamming the tweet. The only two. Uh, what'd you say? I said Troy and his life and his wife, the only two that love Gotcha. <laughs> the EG guy, the the former EG guys like Gotcha. At least some of them. This is just creating free content. At least, hey, I mean, Smoothie was complaining. This has been a busy day for Rainbow Six. Holy shit. Anyway. Uh, uh, oh, wanna... yeah, I see that tweet. Uh, by the way, I know this for a fact because if you don't know, I'm very good friends with certain people on TSM. Oh. Gotcha was offered half the salary of a normal coach because they didn't trust him because of what he did to Jarvis the first time. Anyways. I don't need to keep talking about Gotcha. He's irrelevant. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on. Yep. Uh, Easily obviously announced his retirement just now while we were going about. Uh, unsure of what's going to happen uh, with Iconic. I mean, I'm assuming he's not going to retire. I think the future is really bright for Iconic. Um, I don't know what about Gonfi and Slebin. What I'm going to assume is that Iconic will obviously continue playing. I'm sure we'll have talks with whatever organizations might be interested in him uh and i think Gonfi and Slevin will go back to eu and try to play there would be my guess you don't think they'll stick around na no Slevin 100 percent not Gonfi maybe but i think he'll go to eu what if i may what changed with them because i remember you and i had a conversation when you originally brought them over and i hope it's okay that you you know you said that they were exceptionally talented you were very happy to bring them on blah 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 uh, just mm -hmm. if we could revisit this one last time, did something change? Are you comfortable talking about that? Because you said that you wanted to bench Slevin just because he didn't care. Well, I think they, I mean, I think I when they came here, they were playing like a EU kind of deathmatch style. And I think I taught them a lot about how to play within like structure. I think I even saw like a clip or something on Reddit at some point about Gonfi saying that I taught him like a lot about how to play like correctly or like within structure. Um, so, you know, they're both really good players. Uh, and, and I think, I think we helped each other grow as players. Um, I think it just came to a point where they were dissatisfied 
maybe with Harrisburg itself, uh, the city, and not being in Vegas, and then just um, differing opinions and the amount of work to put in and that kind of thing. Uh, as far as both of them, I like both of them. I think uh, Slobin's hilarious. And I know they're both players. I'm sure they'll both find good teams in Europe, and they'll probably be better players than they were the first time there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my my feelings towards both of them have not changed. I still think they're both great players. I still think Slobin's the most talented player I've ever played with. Uh, but it is what it is. That's That's a big statement. Well, mechanically, Slevin is... Uh, I think Troy would even say, like, mechanically, Slevin is probably, like, Bolo-level mechanics. Uh, he's one of the best, like, not mechanically, to, not to for say, sure. He's up yeah, there. Not to say he's Bolo or anything, but the talent there's, is there. But, yeah, there's other things that are involved. But, yeah, mechanically, talent-wise, he's definitely up there. It was funny because I remember watching you at DreamHack Montreal right after you got mm. the roster. And I mean, I'm not, I don't want to hop on this hate train, but I, I mean, I would wander when I wasn't casting and I'd just stand over your shoulders and watch teams play, uh, while you were doing like the offstage group matches. Yeah. And I just remember like Slebin's aim was impressive, but he just made a lot of really terrible calls like game sense wise. And I was always kind of confused by it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say anything bad about anybody. Um, Slevin is a very good player. I think he grew in that aspect here. I think there's room for improvement. I think the issue just came down for the org is how much work him and everyone else were willing to put in to fix some of those issues because, you know, being fifth place isn't good enough. Or, you know, if maybe we could have beat OXG if we ever played them. But the name of the game is not to be fourth place. Uh, the name of the game is to win. And if you're not competing for championships, you may as well be trying something else. That's uh, my opinion, at least. One question I'm going to ask you, and I, I'm, I'm curious your response, is you want to be the best in North America. You're assembling this team now that you're saying is, mm -hmm. is doing quite well. It's obviously not finished. I mean, we've literally had two scrims, so it's not like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and people can speculate on who it, who it is and who it isn't. Do you see yourself being a playing member of a team that wins North America? Or do you uh, see... I'm going to... I plan to play the next season, the next year, and then reevaluate after then. Because like I said, the last season, I was not playing roles that I like to play. I was basically filling for my team. Um, I don't think I was able to perform as well as an IGL or just in general playing those roles. I think I'm good on smoke mute, and, like playing hard breach and Obviously, as a hard breach, you're on the front line and able to call stuff better. Um, so I think I'm just going to use this next year to reevaluate and see if I feel like I'm helpful to the team or if I'm hurting to the team. Because truthfully, my 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 impact in most IGL supports is just never going to be measured statistically. It's just always going to be like, am I making the right calls? Am I making the right plays in round, in game to help our you know, droning-wise, that kind of thing. Am I helping us win, or could somebody do it better? And if I think somebody could do it better uh, that's available, then, you know, I've already said I have no problem going to coaching or managing or whatever that may be. I was just curious what your thoughts are on it, because, I, I mean, you, you 
kind of talked about the elephant in the room that a lot of people have also discussed, which just involved, you know, your stats yet being the lone, lone surviving member of SQ. So I was just curious as to whether you would be willing to make that departure, because I know you said that you wanted to take this year, but if it happens sooner than later, I'd be curious if you, if you stepped off to work with possibly Joe Bro or do more stuff for the org, etc. So, or maybe even be a streamer because you've been streaming a lot. That's maybe just FPL because that's just pure content. That's true. That's very fair. Um, I am conscious of time. This has been a great episode. We are at two minutes and forty seconds, but there are a lot of two questions. minutes. Holy Sorry, shit! Sorry, two hours and forty. This minutes. is going. This is flying by. Two minutes. I think you spent more than two minutes and forty seconds, absolutely dismembering Gotcha. So that's almost probably longer the, than that. Yeah. yeah, I mean to be honest, that's the most amount of relevancy he's had in like a year. So you're welcome. I'm just going to stop saying his name. So yep. we're... Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I I would like to give you more space for some of these questions because there are an, there is an astonishing amount of questions for I've you. Got, I've got like another hour. So we can go for about another hour. Okay. Or wherever you want. So, yeah, I mean, I, I need to... It's, it's 4.53 here on the East Coast. We're all on the East Coast right now. So we're all in the same time zone. Um... If you want, we can look at some of these questions because, frankly, you know, I, I think you've covered with pretty good succinctness most of the things that I wanted to particularly get at. Um, but some of these questions here are, are pretty good, and I want your thoughts on some of them. And I'll start with a question by Maniac that says, what do you think of the Tier 3 scene and the players in it? You can also talk about Tier 2. That's a complete joke. What? I think tier two and tier three are a complete joke and then I, uh, why? Well, I think one is nobody gets paid in tier two. I think last, last year, only one team was actually getting paid. So how many of those people can actually put in the necessary amount of time to be able to compete? Um, second, I, I just don't think, like the tier two and tier three way they play in my mind is just like out fragging you. Like I I've learned this in FPL. Like I, I will say this, like I I've seen, like I'm actually, so for people that play with me, I'm actually paying attention in FPL. Cause keep in mind, I need a player. So I've actually been watching how people play in FPL. So there are things that I notice, but one thing about FPL that is abundantly clear to me is people in CL do not give a shit about utility. Or tier three. There, I'll be like, there's a cam. Zofia will run in, shoot both the stuns, and then just clear the cam. I'm like, we kind of need those, bud. We've got flashbangs. So I, I think there's just like a complete different philosophy of how you should be playing the game, tier two to T3. Uh, even with Rent Free, who's the best CL team, uh, there's just not a lot of structure, and there's not a lot of... Like, if you're trying, like, the one problem that we have is, like, when you're trying to scrim to compare for pro, like, prepare for a pro league, and you're scrimming a CL team or a tier three team, it's not really going to be preparation. Like, they just play so different. Um, I think a, a solution would be is going forward in the next year, we develop an academy system instead of challenger league. And then every pro team has an academy team. 
where hopefully those guys can then get paid something to be on the academy team. That helps them play more if possible. And then that also puts them within a structure of a pro team who can then, because obviously you're training your academy players to potentially be a pro league player. So you can put them within your own system so they kind of learn how to play within your system. Uh, which I think better prepares people for pro league or like with your team or any other. Like I see citizens saying in chat, like adaption structure, but like you should always be adapting, right? If you don't adapt, you don't have an IGL. You should always be adapting to what the other team is doing, but you should have a basic train of thought, like a, a basic thing of what you're doing and then go from there. It shouldn't just most of the time just be like, What's going on this round? Like that kind of thing. Got it. I think that makes sense. Um, this has been an issue that tier two and tier three Rainbow Six have had for so long. Outside of moving to an academy system, is there a fix? Is there a proper well, fix? I, I don't know if there is because I think the issue is that teams like they'll find success playing like that scrappy like messy style of siege in tier two because the thing is is like even in pro league like the weakest some of the weaker pro league teams don't deal with that well that scrappy style of siege they don't and it'll find success against teams that are trying to play structure but don't do it well enough yeah so that's the problem is like you'll just get this challenger league team that's like new and trying to play structured. But the thing is, is like they'll pl be playing against teams and those teams literally, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. They just, they're all running and they just try to fight whoever they could possibly fight. And that's just all they do. And the teams aren't good enough at playing structured to punish them. And that's the problem. So then teams are like, well, it's working. We're like, we're going to win. Like, right. It's, it's literally just, they, they see the result and they're like, yeah, it works. Keep doing it. And then, like, and then they think they're nasty too, and that's part of the reason why there's like some players that are in Challenger League that think they're fucking incredible, and then they yeah, show I up mean, in Pro League and get fucking slammed. Yeah, that's the thing too. Is like, because we had to like when we scrim them, we have to kind of keep in mind is like there's just a general skill gap as well, and even like from CL team to CL team, so you can get away with things that you would never get away with against like Pro teams. So like. You know, like he's saying, playing that loose style might work against CL teams. It might work against, like, not calling them out, but Disrupt is very rigid on what they do. They do the same attacks, like, every single time. Like, I think they probably know that. It's probably something they're working on, but they never change what their attacks are. They always do the same thing. So, like, that kind of thing can throw teams like that off. But, like, if you're ever trying to be a top team, like, you know, like Troy said, like Troy's team is, you have to be able to, like, do both. Like, you can adapt to people playing like Maniacs, and you can, you know, you can also just play structured and a normal way of playing. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you're not going to beat the best teams in the world playing like that. And I will say, like, a T2 team, they don't need to play with the objective in mind of being the best team in the world. Right, 100%. But I'm telling you right now, like, all these T2 teams, the way they play, they will never win an event unless they change how they're playing. And I I agree. They don't have, like, that... They, they don't have, like, that kind of foresight, right? Like, they're looking, 
well, how do we get into pro league? Like personally me, like I don't give a shit unless I think my team could be the best team in the world. I mean, it's easier said than done because I've been in pro league, but the whole time, but like, I don't know. Uh, it, it's a matter of how people look at the, the long-term goal. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I honestly, it's fine. Like if you're, if you're a CL team, your first goal is to get in a pro league. Once you're in pro league, then your goal is to be like, okay, maybe if you get in pro league in your first season, you're sixth place. Your goal then is, okay, how can we get in the top four? How can we make a major? And then maybe make a major. You say, okay, now we want to win. So it's like an evolving thing. And I think that's why you also see like a lot of rosters over time from Challenger League up until a certain point. Everybody changes over except maybe a guy or two because they're trying to, they're slowly like going up to the point where they think they can win. Where it's like when you first get there, you're just trying to stay alive. Exactly. Talk about the pattern that Challenger League players usually go through, right? And we've talked a lot about uh, how usually you you finished in the old system, you'd finish top two in CL. And right as soon as you're making that final push, if you're not making a roster move then, you know you're making the roster move once you're in the final two of CL. And then when it comes to your actual match to see if you got, whether it was the auto relegation spot or you faced the eighth place team, which is usually the easier team, you would typically make maybe one more roster move. If not, if you won that match, you'd make another one. I mean, look at the Beast Coast, you know, Reckless to Beast Coast to Cloud9 transition. You know, this was a team that played most of the season without Retro, without Fox A, and without Laxing. And then they pick up all three of those, and there's no arguing whatsoever that not only did they play more structured, but the team's ceiling improved immeasurably by picking up these three players. And we've seen in North America, the opposite has been happening recently. And I think it's because, like you said, Troy, teams are very weak and susceptible to that ranked brick brain style of gameplay. So you get teams all the way back to Noble when they make their debut that are just playing like a bunch of monkeys. And it went, and it works enough to upset a couple times, but the players don't have a, ne- a necessary vested interest in changing that play style because they know that if they start to play more routine Rainbow Six, they're going to lose their spots because you're going to pick up people who fit into those spots a lot better. So the teams just kind of sink or swim based upon this style that's worked for them. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they're scared of their jobs, etc. And next thing you know, half of North America is playing absolutely garbage Rainbow Six that isn't going to go anywhere outside of NA. And we find ourselves in North America in the same position that Brazil is in a lot of times, which is that the lower teams in Brazil literally play this super aggro ranked style and the other Brazilian teams that play at the top, your MIBRs, your Team 1s now, your Liquid, your Phase, your NIP, they need to be able to counter that or else they're going to lose their region. But they know they can't export that style of gameplay or else they're going to be sunk as well. It's unfortunate there's not a relegation match because I really would have liked to see like Rent Free play against, I guess it would have been Unite or No Tempo. Just either to see, or. Like, I think it would have been good to see them play against either or. Just to see like, yeah, because... Tempo plays more structured than United does, but I would just like to see them like in a because Referee is a good team, but we got like they beat uh, Guidance Gaming, which was the worst team in Challenger League. They beat Carnage and Jolton's team, which is not to be rude to them, but that they're not competing with any pro league teams. And they beat Beast Coast, who in my opinion were terrible. So they didn't 
they didn't have like the stiffest competition in a winning challenger league. So I would have just liked to see them play against a pro team in an actual match. Not saying they would have won or lost, but I just would have, I would have liked to see it. Um, so it's unfortunate that we're kind of robbed of that, that match. Cause the relegation matches are always so hype. Cause there's a lot on the line. Yeah. And I mean, the original goal was to play it on stage, which is heartless for the losers. Like, the the original goal, <laughs> the original goal was to play it at LAN, right? Like that was that was the thing. Well, I, I mean, think the idea with that is like technically it's supposed to give the team that's in pro league the advantage because they're used to playing on LAN, yeah. and then the team playing would like fly in or whatever, and then maybe some of them have never played on LAN, so it's like a, it technically would be a big advantage for the pro league team. Yeah, but I mean, think about think about the pro league team losing their spot on LAN, soul crushing. You just got, you, your job just came to an end in front of a fucking audience. Like, it's it's one thing entirely to lose a grand finals match. Like, that's devastating. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, enjoy being in purgatory for a year. Also, here are thousands of people watching in front of your face. That's crushing. And as a caster, yeah. I loved it. I was so ready for it. <laughs> I was so ready for that devastation. Yeah, that would have been uh it would have been exciting that would have been fun to watch it would have been troy do you have a question or do you want me uh keep going uh you... yeah i had one i was on um actually you go it's it's one that i kind of wanted to ask just because i think it actually probably would have been a solid discussion point for us to have so it kind of reminded me uh you you've been kind of vocal about this before seth and i think we could just kind of talk about it but your thoughts on the uh the si points format and how it under over represents well, from my understanding, I guess it was somewhat changed because of COVID, but it was changed in a disastrous way. So, like, they let Latam, like, even the structures within the leagues aren't the same, which just causes more of a shitstorm. Because, like, Latam, the way they do their points is over the whole year and not, like, by phase. So, technically, when, when uh, phase... FaZe was like 7th place or something in the second split for LATAM. And they would have got no points, which would have knocked them out of Invitational. They would not have qualified. But LATAM does their points where it's like it adds up over the whole year instead of by FaZe. So even though FaZe finished like 7th place, the second split, technically they still fit, they still got like 250 points or whatever it is that put them into Invitational. But every other region does it by split. So it, it doesn't make sense to divide up how you're like how they award points in one region over the other. And then, you know, it goes into the other factor. We have like, I don't think it ended up mattering, but like Union Gaming, which I don't even remember the region that they were in, but they were in a region uh, that's brand new. Yeah, they're in Southeast Asia. That's a Bangladesh team. Yeah, like a brand new region with obviously very little competition. I mean, the team I watched one of their matches, it would be like a tier five team here, like a tier four team. And they were getting equivalent points to where they, they would have they had they would have got more points than us had we finished fifth both times. Like had we got runner up in the invite falls both times. Same with Estral. Is Straw would have had the same amount of points as us, but they would have a tiebreaker over us and Navi because they went, they had a better record within their region. Well, they're playing in the Mexican Pro League. What is the actual, like, that's like a tier three or tier four region. So the way that I think it should be done 
is you take the mate like from the major regions APAC, uh, NA, EU, and Brazil, and you have those point structures have to be the same. And then you should do like League does, where the minor regions they don't really get points that apply to that, but they fly them in to like invitational. So like say they invite twenty four teams, and then those teams like say they fly in the eight minor region teams with the highest points they play each other to qualify to get in the groups so you have so you fly in eight teams say the top four of those make it into groups for invitational so that way one nobody can be mad that they didn't get direct invite points because they still got to go to invite they still were there they still got flown in and everything and then two they played each other so you have just the best of those minor region teams. And then maybe some of them can shock some of the teams, but you don't have a situation where like a union gaming could have made it and they just don't win around or something like that. So I, I just think that hopefully with like, I mean, I guess we don't know, but hopefully with COVID being maybe more under control in 2021 and like lands, hopefully being able to resume again, uh, the structure makes more sense, but it was very like disproportionate to like how they're awarding it because Brazil and APAC had like complete advantages over NA and EU in terms of how they were getting points. I will say that as you pointed out, COVID did fuck it over though, right? Because the idea was originally that Brazilian teams wouldn't necessarily be the only teams representing LATAM. Like they wanted to have those regional finals where, you know, two Brazilian right. teams would play against a Mexican team and then like a South American team. And then the winner of that would go through and, the whole idea was very similar to what we used to see out of APAC, which is where, you know, Japan, Korea, South Asia, and Australia would all come together. And then the winner of that would go to the event. That was the idea originally, you know, and we were supposed to do that in North America, presumably as well, right? Like the, our qualifiers that we did online and our mini major qualifiers that we did online with Canada involved were also supposed to be done presumably on land for the U.S. division, but obviously there's no land for the U.S. division. So, I, I mean, I, I understand, I understand that everything is kind of fucked up. And I mean, there wouldn't have been mini majors under COVID as well. And mini majors are giving a disproportionate amount of points to these teams because we wouldn't have had too many majors. If it wasn't for COVID, we would have had an event in America and we would have had an event in the Netherlands and there would have been the top 16 teams from wherever that were there on points and maybe maybe union gaming qualifies for that maybe a Stroud qualifies for that we don't know but then but then you get to base which teams are good off of online play in the majors when in reality we didn't have that so not only do you have points being awarded outside of the way it was supposed to be structured because mexican teams are not playing brazilian teams japanese teams are not playing australian teams the way it should be etc but additionally we don't have the majors to kind of sort things out on lan either so I understand that there's frustration involved with this and, and hopes had said in the chat, uh, the coach of OXG, that there was a scenario in which seven APAC teams could have made it to SI. I, I understand that this year it sucks for a number of teams, but we were kind of in uncharted territory and it, I couldn't imagine how you'd equitably divvy up the points for SI without pissing somebody off somewhere. Yeah, I think COVID definitely plays a part into it, but I also, like, I get tired of the, like, oh, COVID. Just, like, that's the reason for everything being awful. Like, you know, this is separate, but the obviously the marketing for most of the year for Rainbow Six was terrible for Pro League. And, you know, there's no drops on Pro League streams. It's that, that's COVID? 
like tweeting out or marketing the game like some of this to in my opinion should not be affected business uh, business continues on especially when it's like things that are already employees or things that are already done from where they're at like you, you know obviously land league and that kind of thing is a separate issue but the the, the like covid thing just just because you're saying covid doesn't cover up a bad system or bad like bad decisions uh i mean yes and no i do think and and i will agree with cash flow i don't agree with cash flow on much but i will agree with cash flow what did you say who does i i will cash flow by the way owner of disrupt i will agree with him to a certain extent that there are companies orgs tos etc that are using COVID as a scapegoat to tighten their purse strings or make decisions around employment or wages or benefits etc i mean economic i I put that towards united i'd put that right towards the united like them saying yeah COVID affected this no what affected it is you decided to sign a team for six thousand dollars that's a seventh place team and pay them fifty thousand dollars a month COVID didn't put a gun to your head and said, yeah, give these guys a ridiculous contract. They made that decision themselves. And then they say, oh, we weren't getting as much money because of COVID. No, you were spending too much money because you don't know what you're doing. Do you really think that if those players had been paid three grand a month that United would have stuck around? Yes. Because I, I, because I, I don't. Think then, personally, I do, because I think then from the R6 share program, you get enough money back where it's a manageable loss. But if you're paying people six thousand dollars a month, you're losing a couple hundred thousand dollars. If you're pay if you're paying people three thousand dollars a month, maybe you're losing fifty, sixty thousand dollars. And that can be made up in spot. You're E United, they're a big org. That could be made up. A couple hundred thousand dollars, nobody's making that up. That that's the way I see it at least. Now obviously there could be more reasons why you'd get out of Rainbow right now. Uh, you know, the structure of NAL being one of them, but that's just you know, you know, it, that's how I see it. Like I think the COVID excuse there is an excuse i don't know i think you could make the argument though that like if for example like if the land league was actually happening that there'd Mm -hmm. be more content because a a big argument they had was that one they there was like almost no content around the teams and that was due to the lack of the land league and then also there was the huge gap because of where they finished there's a huge gap of when they would play again so they had like their couple online games and then that was it so I feel like that plays a factor, and that is because of COVID. But I, I do see Seth's point as well that if they were if they were at least being paid less, like they probably should have been. You could manage then, unforeseen, yeah. You could manage like unforeseen losses from COVID better if your players and your team and your spending is not disproportionate to what makes sense. So, like, they put themselves in the position to where they couldn't afford it. But if they were spending the money correctly on, you know, or paying them appropriately, the losses that COVID would have brought to them that are obviously unprojected would have been more manageable for them instead of a panic situation where it's like, we got to get out of here as soon as we can because we are just burning money. That That's how I see it, at least. Obviously, all of us are speaking from hypotheticals and our own opinions. We don't know. You know, we have no idea what United's real thinking is behind the scenes, but that's from like outside point of view, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my uh, my dust up with LG was a perfect example of that. You know what what LG was saying publicly 
about why they left did not match up with what other org owners were saying in private and what the players of LG were saying in private about the way that it was handled. So, I mean, I hate to, I hate to bring it back, but Gotcha's tweet saying just because you say something out loud in a public forum doesn't mean you're telling the truth. The, the man's, the man's right. It's true. People lie. People lie about why they do it. And you know, I, like I said, I, I do agree with cash flow on that, but where a lot of businesses are, are shedding workers or downsizing or dropping commitments that may or may not have been bad investments in the past that they've always wanted an excuse for. But under these circumstances, it's now totally permissible to do that without getting, you know, without drawing the ire of a community. So do I, do I think that's why United left? No, I, I genuinely, from what I know, I genuinely do not think that is the entire story. I mean, we can disagree on that. That's fine. I think that even if that United team had been getting paid about three grand, it's in line with United still kind of downsizing their portfolio. United is not an org right now that is investing in teams. They have been consolidating. So I don't know if that's maybe the org is in money, in, in money trouble. Chaos seems to be that case. Chaos seems to be in, in money trouble. Rec just shut down. There's a whole number of orgs at the moment who used to have a Those much orgs, bigger... Like, uh, one, one thing I'll say there is I just think they do it themselves. Like, uh, just, you know, the orgs that are in money trouble, maybe you're not spending your money appropriately. Y you know, not it's always not going to be that. It's not always that, but it's not a coincidence to me that Rec collapse because they were spending ridiculous amounts of money on all their teams they offered it i can say this now because it's way in the past rec offered us a fifteen thousand dollar buyout for neptunes fifteen thousand dollars that is an insane amount of money for rainbow they offered us fifteen thousand dollars for neptunes though that org was just throwing money around and you know i kind of see the same thing with the united obviously they're more established more successful but they're you know, part of the part of the trouble you bring on yourself is you bring it on yourself. That's just how it goes. It's kind of set. Well, I don't know. It's similar to what we we're talking about, but I, I do think something that needs to happen, like at least within NA, is like teams need to get take pay cuts. Like teams are getting paid too much. Period. Whoa, and, whoa, and, whoa. I'm being paid just fine. Let's. <laughs> I, I just I just think for <laughs> for the health of like the actual game and its scene, like teams need to be paid less. Like we we gotta fucking swallow our pride here. Like it's just for what our game offers, it's not worth it. Like and, it, and it's just people like are are turning down offers because they need they expect to be paid more. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it's just the, the salaries are way overinflated in NA for sure. I remember when there was that gold rush and all the orgs were picking up players. I had a number of players <clears throat> come to me and say, like, do you know how much all the different teams are making, et cetera? And at that point, I knew about the salary that every single team was making. And like, I just remember that at the time I said, yeah, like I would settle for like 1500. This was like two years ago. And they were, they were an average team. I mean, two, three years ago, I think two or three years ago, whenever I made an invitation on Era, we were getting $800 a month. Now, obviously, that's ridiculous now, but 
we've gone from eight hundred dollars to teams making between four point five and seven k with team houses. With team houses, with coaching, with yeah. staff. So again, it's coming to the point where like orgs are spending fifty thousand dollars a month on the game, but the money's not coming back to them. So it's either on Ubisoft to find a solution with the tiering and whatever for NAL to make more sense, or it's going to come to a point where, you know, that $4,500 should low point that it's at should maybe start being like the norm. But I, I guess we'll see. Cause I mean, nobody wants to get paid less. Nobody wants to sit there and, you know, even think about that. So I guess we'll see what happens, Agreed. but it might come to, it might come to a point where it's like, you can either keep playing rainbow at for 4500 4k or you can go get a job or go to school and that's what it is cuz we can't you know maybe in a couple of years the money's back there but yeah 7k right now is not doable yeah i think it just it, it rose too quick like it, yeah it wasn't like the, the the salaries going up like wasn't in line with the game's growth it was just a matter of other like lower tier teams coming in and then they want to get paid as much as the top tier teams. And now the top tier teams want to get paid more because the bottom team is getting paid just as much as them. And then it just kept on fucking repeating. Like I, uh, I can, I mean, it was, it was SSG. That was, that was the team that I said, go for 1.5, by the way. So if that gives you a perspective of how quickly we escalated, it was the old bittersweet, most wanted roster that were asking for advice on pay. And I said at the moment, I would angle for 1.5K. How long ago? And then they ended up getting picked up by SSG. And I will say, I don't know how much they ended up getting. I think but, it was 1.6. Yeah, so it was about right where I had told them when they came to me. Unless you're making a joke about your stupid number. I'm making a joke. I'm making it. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> But, but at the time, I'm just using this. I'm using this as a perspective on where we were. How long ago did SSG pick up a team? Because shortly before that roster got picked up, I was saying 1.5k is like the max you should be pushing for and expect. And that was why that was two years ago, give or take. So that's how quickly we've accelerated to the point where these bottom NA teams are getting paid five to six grand per player. And that's, I mean, that will, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. That's way too much for the little value yeah. that those players provide. That's way too little. Now, if you're, if you're a middle of the pack team, but you're some, I mean, not saying that they ever would be, but if you've got a YouTube channel or you've got a Twitch stream, or if you, if you have merch or a charm in the game, or you've got some form of persona where it's like, you can do interviews, you can do side content. That TSM team is insanely marketable. SSG is insanely marketable. You know, I, I think Dark Zero is as well. I don't know how well D DZ markets themselves outside of their usual stuff. I think that DZ's brand isn't zany, super goofy, the way that maybe TSM and SSG would be. OXG is marketable, but then they have their hiccups where they tweet about, like, porn and stuff, which I think is hilarious, but I can see why, why brands would stray away from that. The problem is, is that when you look at a team like Disrupt and you look at a team like Tempo, and you look at a team like United, there's almost nobody who's marketable on those teams. Not even one person. And, and I hate to say this, because I like all these players, but I think a big part of why EG was less likely to keep that team around was after Troy left, that squad had nobody on it who was marketable either. 
And do I think that was a big consideration? No, I don't think at all. But do I think it was something that they talked about? Probably. If Troy stays on that roster and they're still good, does EG end up dropping their roster? Maybe. I think it's a tougher decision, though. Mo was the only person on that squad who was marketable, and that was solely because of his stream. It, there was no content outside of just the stuff he did on his stream. And that's a tough spot, and EG obviously values that. So if these players want to do well, they need to start streaming, which gets us right back to the conversation we were in before. It's a circle of life. Look what you did. God, now I got to bring up a gotcha tweet and we just got to go through it all over again. Oh um, my God, man. Do not mention his name. I won't. Um, oh, this isn't a question that was asked by somebody. I saw a couple meta questions, so I'm just going to roll them all into one here, not from anybody in particular. What, do you, what is the meta shaping up to be with all the changes that have come out? I think you see a lot of Twitch now because Twitch has flashbangs. Obviously, also a very good gun. Um, to be honest, the Twitch run itself can be useful for clearing more utility. So I think you're going to see a ton of Twitch. I think you probably see less Ash, but I think Ash is still going to be played a lot just because it has breaches and three Ash charges. What's interesting is like Dark Zero is kind of ahead of the curve there a little bit, but I could see Ash kind of being like more of a flex now with like, you know, how Dark Zero has Mint playing it. So it's not necessarily like your entry. But I think you could start seeing a lot of like flex players playing Ash so that you can clear, you know, they just play it for utility and then obviously has like a really good gun. Um, I, I still think Zero is like insanely good on a lot of maps. Uh, taking like nades away, like I wish they put flashes on Zero, but I, I think Zero is really good. So I mean, I think like from what I'm seeing, I think it's going to be like Twitch, Zofia. Ash, Hard Breach, Flex, and then you have like a second Hard Breach, stuff like that. I think Twitch is going to be like heavily in play a lot of the time. You think Thatcher's still going to be played or do you think he's going to be? I don't think you need, like, I think Thatcher, like, obviously for like wall denial, but in terms of ADS clear, it's nothing now because like that's the other thing is like the meta is going to be so much faster because you literally throw one ADS, you literally throw one flash and ADS is cleared. And you can go. And you don't need to ban Wamai anymore for the most part because Wamai doesn't have a shield anymore. And you can burn the ADS so fast that you have enough clear for like Wamai's as well. So I think it's going to be a lot faster and you're going to have more flexible bans because it's not like Echo's obviously nerfed. It's not just going to be everybody banning Wamai and Echo all the time now. I think it's going to yeah. be a lot more targeted strat heavy bans. And I think it's going to be a lot faster, which I think is good from like a player and viewer perspective. I think the Mira ban rate will oh, yeah, go definitely. back up more. Because I think she's just one where it was like people would just choose for the longest time they would choose one of like Miro, Wamai, Echo. But then Echo was just gone, so then they didn't even have to ban Echo. And then they started banning like Valk more and stuff like that. But I think you, you have a lot more options now, for sure. Uh, especially like, yeah, Wamai's not as much of a threat, so people won't be banning him as much. And then on attack in general, I think you have a lot more flexibility with your lineups. Like, I don't even think you're locked into a lineup. Like, Seth is saying with, like, those those five. I think a lot of teams will run something like that. But yeah, I, think... I was just giving, like, yeah. It's, like, more an example of, like, you can run a super heavy, like, fragger lineup. Now, like, you could literally yeah. make an excuse to run Ash, Twitch, and Zofia every time, and nobody would say it's, like, ridiculous. Like, yeah. you can bring three firepower at all time now if you wanted to. Yeah. A lot more. Sorry, you cut out there. What'd you say? 
you can just bring a lot more unique lineups. Uh, you're not you're not locked into things as often. That's all. I mean, I hope that's the case. I will say that whether it comes down to playing it or not, uh, something needs to happen because the game is not super awesome to play. And it's as a caster, I'm not enjoying the meta and casting it. It's not exciting. Yeah. Um, I I think it has made my casting worse because there is so little action, and most of the action is now just up. It's a it's a fuck fest. It's seven yeah. to 15 seconds of utter fuck fest where I just cannot physically keep track of everything that's going on. And I don't, I don't, I mean, the lion meta presented its own challenges for a couple different reasons, but holy shit, do I miss the unpredictability of the lion meta? I cast that any day of the week over the shit we had for the last six months. It's just like, hey, there's two minutes of absolutely nothing happening. They're droning. And they're burning ADSs, and somebody's peeking behind a shield, and nobody's hitting each other. Oh, there's 17 seconds left, and there's still nine people alive. Can't wait to give this one a good conclusion. It was it was hard as yeah. hell. It was so hard to be able to cast properly. So I'm really looking forward to to those changes. Yeah. I mean, I think it should be refreshing. I think either way, it'll be more exciting to watch. My concern is how it will be to play just because I'm skeptical that it'll become too strong for attackers. And when that happens, like when defenders don't think they have like a consistent and like concrete answer, then they just kind of resort to chaos. And that's where, at least for me, like I don't enjoy the game as much because then it doesn't feel as tactical. Like you're not coming in with like, same kind of game plan stuff like that but i mean i i don't know until i play it really like i i my team hasn't been scrimming so i don't know much but i'm more interested to see like how defenders will be answering i think attackers are in control of the pace of the game right now though i agree hopefully uh you got the next question by the way yes i do um it's from team. You always said that the Sonics had the capability of reaching top four. What held you back? Uh, I think it goes back into like maybe the hard work aspect that we kind of mentioned before, which played some role in uh, why the moves were made. But I think that the talent was there for sure, but we just didn't have the consistency. Um, and I don't think necessarily everybody put in the same amount of effort to improve uh, that we needed to. At the same time, I still believe that we would have beat OXG if we ever played them. We just literally never played them. Uh, and then obviously, not not saying that we would have beat you guys because you beat us in the qualifier, but we also never played you guys over the course of either phase. So half we played Dark Zero like four times. We played TSM once when we had our subs, and we never played SSG or OXG. So like, who knows what would how it would have played out if we actually got to play all the top four teams. But... Uh, yeah, it just never came together. Uh, I think there were glimpses, obviously, and I think the talent was there, but it never, uh, you know, we just finished fifth both times. And I would have liked to play Oak G because I think we could have got at least the four spot, but we'll never know now. This ties into my next question that I was going to ask, uh, and, and I think it's an appropriate time to ask it. If you could do any one thing to change Rainbow Six or the scene, and I'd like to say the scene, what would it be? Because some people had asked about what do you do about the winter off season? What do you do about the the 
setup for the NA League? Best of threes, teams only playing every couple days, etc. What would you change? I think that NAL should run on the Brazil format where everybody plays best of twos, win loss, and you get points based off of how those go, but you play every team and then you play year like you play year round. Uh obviously I think the phases should be divided up, but like obviously having a huge gap makes no sense it leaves it's another issue for like why orgs would stay in the game because there's just no content that can be created if you're not doing anything uh so i i'm in favor of like the best of twos like year long format because you get to play every team so you actually get to see like part of the like reason viewership is down a lot of times is because like do you want to tune in and watch the sonics play dark zero for the fourth time or do you want to you know do you want to watch oxg play tempo storm for the second time in a week like you, you know that's part of it and then i i also um well i i think i like I, I look at like csgo and obviously rainbow structure differently but part of what keeps interest up in csgo is there's like major tournaments going on all the time like outside of their pro leagues outside of like the invitation like the majors and whatever like they have tournaments going on all the time that aren't necessarily held by the like leagues right there's like other things going on so i i would like more tournaments to be honest so that there's more things to do over the course of a year rather than like literally the only thing you do is you play your seasons you try to qualify for the major you try to qualify try to qualify for invite and then you do it all over again if there were more tournaments to play you could have more international event like things like that like i just feel like you could do more than we're doing in terms of like having things that viewers can enjoy and that orgs can market or make content around. It's funny because I want both your input on this. This was discussed at length an awful lot over the last, I want to say two years that there was too much rainbow six, that there were, there were four minors. There were the two majors. There were the two pro league finals there was never any breathing room. The schedule didn't stop. There was no off season and tons of players kept saying over and over and over and over again, we need an off season. We need a one to two month break. Yeah. It should be from Christmas until through January and then you start again in February. So you think that there's just too much of a break? Yeah. I mean, you should have Christmas like Christmas off. And then go through January and start back up in February. Why do you need three? What are we doing? I mean, to be fair, there isn't supposed to be a break from November to December, right? There were supposed to be the regional finals. So there'd be the EU finals, the APAC finals, the NA finals, et cetera. We don't know if those are going to happen. We, but we no don't clue. need three months either, though. Like, they're giving us the same amount of break that, like, professional athletes have who endure, like, physical injuries and stuff like that throughout the course of the year like the most injuries somebody else is here gonna has they like they have carpal tunnel in their hand like you need like some go in the fuck like the metabolic chamber for that like you know what i mean like i i don't think we just we like they could give us four weeks and that's fine like because guess what for the most part everybody here it, during that vacation is going to be playing rainbow anyway like they're just going to be on like for the most part nobody here's like going on some crazy trips and everything. Most people are just going to be sitting at home playing anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I mean, what's the purpose of a proper off season? Because if you think about it, 
after every single major on our contra or on our calendar, we're, we're contracted to have four weeks off after every major. I think that's too long. After also, every major, like we have three to four weeks off for the PTR or TTS or whatever you want to call it. And for testing purposes. But I think teams, it should just be like two weeks and release the like immediate, like recent. They release it next day, basically, anyways. Well, they to release me, it like, next I'm day also, on the TTS, and then there's three to four weeks on. Well, I'm also at the point where TTS is pointless to me because for the most part, TTS changes don't like what over the past like year or two, how many changes have actually occurred during TTS that didn't make it to game? Like it's very little. The, like the I'd rather change. them just yeah, like literally almost nothing. It's like very hard to even think about changes that have been made. So they may as well just go live with it, and then that gives you like you. We still have the quarantine period. We still have all that, so you can still just operate there. It's not like they can't patch the game live anyway. Yeah. Because TTS to me is pointless because we don't actually change anything from it really. It's we still go through the there could be an issue on TTS. We'll still go to live and it still won't be changed for six months because it's under quarantine. You know what I mean? Like it just seems redundant to me. There's some other changes that aren't under quarantine and stuff that I will say. Yeah. I think it, it affects there. But I will say that there's also, yeah, there's a lot of things that, like, the one that drove me crazy was, it's like, the echo bug. Like, we knew that was in TTS, and went over to live, wasn't fixed. And then, like, it, we thought it was fixed, but it wasn't fixed, and then he, like, went back into quarantine. Like, we didn't have echo for, like, it like, feels like half a year now. Like, I don't I I, I thought that was ridiculous. Um, I think there was a lot of teams that, we're okay with it because I don't think they were very good at using or dealing with Echo. And I think they kind of use it as a crutch, but it is what it is. But yeah, like I, I thought that was ridiculous. And the fact that it, like it was pointed out, like I know for a fact our team scrimmed on TTS and said like, hey, the Echo drone is invincible sometimes. And then just nothing happened for the longest time. Um, it, it so does, that's a it, bit frustrating. It does kind of interest me that there are constant issues involving these operators. And, and what I always hear whenever I talk to Ubisoft about this, they always say the same thing. They're like, people don't report it through official channels and we have no idea. Yeah. As forceful just said, we can't replicate the issue. I mean, I'm at the point there where I don't bother, uh, because it's most of the time, at least from my perspective, it goes ignored. So I just don't bother, but that's, that's based off of a bad history of things not being dealt with anyway. So, I mean, I know that I know that please reported to R6 Fix is a bit of a meme, but literally saying, hey, this doesn't work on Twitter. I mean, I understand like through official channels, like it does nothing. And the thing that I've heard consistently is we can't replicate this issue. We don't know what's going wrong. We don't know why this is happening. It shouldn't be. And then a lot of players get frustrated and they say, oh, the website sucks. Or they say, oh, well, they don't they don't have answers for it anyway. And it's like, OK, well. So now you're just not even going to try. So now the likelihood of it is is zero. Like, I mean, you can at least try. Is it in vain? Maybe. But at least there's a chance. If you're not submitting or reporting bugs, then there's zero chance. Right? So, I don't know. That's how I see it. I, I will also say this. I have never encountered a game-breaking bug to the point where I need to go on R6 Fix. Yeah. 
I also, case, I also like, do think that pros often overstate small issues. That sound bug is... Oh, I agree with that. The sound bug, it always strikes at the most convenient times. My biggest issue over the past year You're was... You're saying that. Like, I, I, literally, that sound bug always fucking happens, bro. I have never that shit is experienced... I have experienced one sound bug personally from the almost 2,000 hours of this game I've played. You. I, I will Why say I that I have... I will say I, that I, we... I, I know you're not lying to me. Why would I lie to you, though? Like one time, but see, dude, I've heard teammates. I've heard I've heard certain teammates tell me at after parties, like, "Yeah, we just shut off our computer and said he DC'd," or we'll or we kick the modem. Like I've heard teams, I've heard teams drunkenly be like, "Yeah, we uh, we needed teams have definitely done it. We needed timeout, so we just turned off the computer and said DC'd." But sound bugs, sound bugs are it, real, but, but some teams like that shit happens all the time. The, I yes. know sound bugs are real. I just always laugh when a team is up like five one and they're getting the stuffing beat. A out lot of, them. of the time, that shit just happens though. And like, now it's and now it's five five, and the team that just lost four rounds in the row re rehosts sound bug. Well, this would be a great time for a timeout, wouldn't it? How coincidental! I am very smart. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I was making a joke about how they they tend to happen at very convenient times. No, they times. tend to happen all the fucking time. That's the problem. If you go and look and see how many fucking rehosts there are, it's ridiculous. They happen all the fucking time. You're telling me it's just I people only you, talk I, about I, the I'm convenient. Over stalling. I am I am done stalling. The moment there's like a rehost for a sound bug or whatever, Kix and I just go off the rails because we are so tired of stalling over all the issues. I was just making a joke that teams teams definitely lie about the sound bug. There's no denying it. Every team has privately admitted it to me. I'm not going to call them out. I don't care. But teams definitely will fake a bug for if a you, rehost. If you, say this, if you say the word sound bug one more time, Troy might kill you. Dude, it's, I'm it's sick the of gotcha of Troy right now. Like, I feel like if I say, I, if I say like gotcha called a sound bug, this podcast will just implode. Move on. <laughs> I actually wanted to say something about the breaks, though. Say it. Um, say it about the breaks. Because we, well, we were talking about it, and I remember the team, the people that were like saying like players need a longer break were usually the teams that were like qualified for lands. Yeah, it was G2 was the big one, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, yeah. And, yeah, the reason why is because if you go to a LAN, like, you have less time off. Because during all that time that you have to prep for the LAN and then play the LAN, like, the other teams have all that time off. And, yeah, the main issue is that it's just, like, the competition isn't the same for everyone because not everyone participates in the LAN events. Yeah. Um, I think Miners helped with that a bit. But that that's the issue with the breaks. Um, I think you, you said, for example, like the, the NA finals and stuff like that, that would kind of help with it. But again, there's, there's still like the same issue that if you, if you place, well, I guess in that case, you'd be in relegations and stuff, but like, I guess if you place like fifth or sixth, then you wouldn't. And then you would have all that time or seventh as well. You'd have all that time off until invitational calls. And then afterwards, um, so yeah, there there are some issues that were presented just because of our current situation with having to do things online. But uh, I feel like it's hard to find a a sweet spot with the with the breaks. And then also there's just the incentive like you need you want to play the game 
and you like you don't want to allow people to get further ahead because like if you're taking a break you are allowing people to get further ahead because they're going to be playing the new content and yeah. you kind of have to just measure that to to kind of decide just like how much of a break you need to take and how much you're willing to give up in terms of uh getting ahead well they talked about that from football right like the patriots had played something like three full extra seasons of football over the last like what was it like 10 or 11 years or something like that because of how deep they go in the postseason every year you know like your average team that's insane yeah, that's like one of the reasons that people say LeBron is like such uh, like anomalies because he makes he's made the finals like ten of eleven years or something. So he's just playing basketball like year round. So yeah, I mean, obviously everybody's gonna deal with stuff like that differently. But yeah, the teams that are more successful are obviously gonna end up having shorter breaks. But I mean, they win stuff, they get more money for doing things like that. So you kind of it goes both ways. That number is not accurate, by the way, for the people who are like, it's like, I don't remember what the exact number is. It's a mind bogglingly high number, but it's not, it's not accurate for those of you that are going to be like, what's this guy talking about? He doesn't, they only played like 20 games. It's like, oh my God, be quiet. It was just an exaggeration. But I do know that, yeah, the same thing with LeBron. I know that as, as a Blackhawks fan, same thing here. You know, the Blackhawks, the Pittsburgh Penguins always going deep in the postseason almost every single year. You're playing an ass load of games. Like, that's tiring. And you're right. Like, I mean, why do we need such a long offseason when we're not, like, physically exerted? People need time off to see families over the holidays and all that stuff. I think that's totally fine. But at, at the end of the day, I, I do agree with you. I think there were too many events before. Now there is too much Rainbow Six, but there's too much of a break as well, which is, like, this weird situation we found ourselves in where it's, like, Take all of that Rainbow Six that's happening all, all the time that's hard to keep track of and kind of spread it out and condense the break from, you know, two and a half months down to a full month, maybe at most. Start at like December 20th and have it go till like January 15th and you're good. January 20th, have everybody back for SI in February or something like that, right? Was that your question or my question, by the way? Shit. I don't remember whose question it was. I think it was yours. Okay. Um, well, he has 14 minutes till scrim, so that's probably two questions. So you can do this question. Okay. I'll get the last one. All right. Seth, what are your favorite and least favorite? Probably only going to be favorite, but uh, things about often being seen or referred to as the villain of the R6 scene. Uh, favorite? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I get a lot of attention, I guess, but I don't really care for attention. Like, I mean, I, I think the one thing I would, I would say that I enjoy the most is that I can say whatever I want for the most part and get away with it. Little Trump esque there is like, if you've catered your audience to expect you to say anything, then you can say anything. So I think people have more of a uh, belief that I speak my mind more and say, you know, uh, like the truth on a lot of issues. And maybe I speak up about certain issues that a lot of people don't speak up about. So I think it just gives me more freedom to uh, say things that maybe some people don't feel comfortable saying, both good and bad. Um, dislike. I mean, I get a lot of hate. I, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me, but. I mean, some of y'all got to get a life at some point. Like, 
I don't care. I'm just telling you right now, you can tweet me all you want. You can say whatever you want. I don't care. And if you're in my stream roasting me, all I see is that you're one viewer in my stream. So, you know, sit in there all you like. It doesn't bother me. So, yeah, I think intentional. It just happened that way, I guess. You have a follow-up on that, Troy? Nope, I got nothing else. The last question is is a multi-part question. Um, and it, it involves IGLing because I mean you you've talked about IGLing a couple times. It's part of why you were you were kept around, is because you're an IGL. A couple different questions that involve do you believe that it was easier or more difficult to IGL in previous seasons or in the utility dump meta? Uh, what separates a good IGL from just an okay IGL? Can you make any examples? And then what do you uh, enjoy about IGLing? I actually thought IGLing was less important over the recent meta because it's like, it became so like stationary. It's like, you got to go clear this shield. You got to go do this. There's just like steps you can like, a lot of it was like literally just going to do things you have to clear all this. You've got to do it, and then you can worry about it, but then half the round's gone, and stuff like that. Uh, so to me, this last this last little bit of meta has been more like being coordinated, being in, like how SSG plays. Like, obviously, their really, Troy's really good at adapting, but like part of SSG's strength as well is they're very coordinated. They can get to their spots, and when they go for an execute, like everything is covered that should be covered. So, you know, going through those steps and getting to the part where you can execute, that's part of being an IGL, but it's also a lot of part about what you practice. So I just think that there's a lot less you can necessarily maybe do on the fly lately. And now I think that's going to open up more. And then like, in terms of the differences in like a good or bad IGL, I think it's just adapting. It's like basically what it comes down to. If you're good at adapting and you don't force your team to like go into bad situations and you're able to make correct calls or unpredictable calls, you know, then that's a good IGL. Bad IGL is like, you know, kind of how I said how I started out. It's like you call you call what you're doing before the round. Whatever they've got there, that's what you're dealing with. If it's free, it's free. If it's not, well, you better win your, you know, win the fights. Like being an IGL isn't saying this is the strat we're running, and then you run the strat, and then you say, okay, go for a plant. Like, you, you know, I, I will say, like from team to team, obviously at a pro level, it should be different, but. You, you know, your IGL is almost only as good as the other people on your team are at communicating to you what's going on because, you know, obviously an IGL can't see everything, right? So certain things that are key are not communicated efficiently to your IGL. Then that's a part of the, like, because it's like a puzzle for your IGL, right? He's, like, trying to figure out what you can do, what's going to work. So if something's not communicated effectively, that's, like, you're missing a piece to the puzzle. So, like, being able to communicate efficiently and what's important and what's not important is, like, makes it a lot easier for your IGL to be, like, adapting. That's uh, how I would classify that. Who's that in the background? Iconic. Oh. <laughs> Troy, do you have anything to add to that, by the way? Um, I mean, I think it was mostly pretty spot on. I think there was important parts of IGLing that were probably like I feel like a lot of people probably missed out on in the current meta and like it was literally like the tedious stuff of making sure all those steps were hit. Um but 
I mean, it, it it doesn't take much to do that. It's just it's tedious, like just repeating the same thing every fucking round to make sure everything is done. And that that's kind of what makes it done. Less so about like the practice, because I think if you're just everyone just gets used to doing the same routine, then you get into the problem of like when you do need to adapt, you're not doing something different because. Yeah, that's true. When I when I tell my teammate that he needs to clear this ADS in this position, and all of a sudden there's like some guy in an aggressive position that's kind of making that impossible to do. Now, at least we know about it and we know that we have to work around it. Um, but I think for the most part, I, I agree. There's not, there's less room for like the adaptations and stuff like that. There still is some. And I think when you play higher stakes matches and, and stuff like that, it comes out more because teams try to take, will take more risks or, um, I don't know. You'll you'll notice the openings more because people will be more communicative, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I didn't yeah, mention I, it either. But sorry, but I, I was gonna say like one like something else I think falls into IGLs. It's like my personal view of it is like your IGLs should kind of be like the leader of the team. Um, have like the not, not like the alpha mentality, but like that's the guy that he's gonna lead you, make sure everybody's like on, on their shit, like. And that's part of that's part of the job of a coach as well. But I, I think all the players should be able to look to the IGLs like a guy that's like respected and that like he knows what's going on, kind of thing. Like that, just like a certain leadership quality, I guess. That's important to have on a team. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I think IGLing is probably the most mis misunderstood part of most esports but particularly ours because of how much has to go into it and how it's changed over the last little while as well especially when you yeah. hear somebody like fabian talk about how oh there are no igls anymore right mm. i just don't know if i agree with that though i mean yeah, i don't I agree with it either that. but i just think it, it's it's such a hard like topic to really talk about just because like yeah their their contributions are like they're not they're they're never gonna yeah they'll never be known until only the people on the team know really yeah i I mean like like all you can really look at is like results because like if you're having good results and the team is saying like that they're doing a good job igling then like i guess it shows something but even then like it might mean nothing like, I try to look at like be nasty for other reasons. Yeah, one reason, one way I try to like evaluate it, or I guess you could, is just looking because like on defense, I don't think there's necessarily an IGL. Like on defense, I think it's pretty straightforward. You could have a guy's like calling stuff on the roam and stuff like that, or like to come back to site. But defense to me is pretty straightforward. But on attack, I think you can maybe judge IGLing a little bit by like how good a team's attacks are. Because like if you're one of the better attacking teams, it probably means you're one of the better. IGL led teams. Now that's not obviously in every situation, but I think that's like one metric you can use to judge how good an IGL is is based off of how good that team is at attacking. Yeah. I, I could agree with that. It, it definitely plays more of a factor onto attack. Um because yeah, it 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 helps piece together rounds that probably you're less likely to win otherwise. So yeah, I, we we I mean, talked about it. That's a big reason. The cast. Like, Sorry, I was gonna say that's a big reason, like why I think 
IGLs are more effective on like Carbridge, for example, like a role less involved because like they're still having the biggest impact while not being as involved in the round. Yeah. So like everyone else in the it can be fully focused on doing their part in the round, and really all he has to focus on is thinking and talking until he actually has to go in and plan. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. Especially just playing the whole season, being like the primary flank watcher, it's a lot better and easier to IGL like as the hard breach because you also can you see the site and stuff like that more, so you just have a lot more information. That's what I was going to say. One thing that we've talked about on the broadcast a lot is how attacking is harder than defending by and large, depending, and it's even more so depending on the meta. And if you're a really well-disciplined team and you can attack effectively, then you've either got good leadership or you're playing against a bad team or a whole host of other factors, but you can usually take a look at it. And I'm glad to hear that I have been somewhat vindicated by smarter people than me when I say such things. With that said, that's the that's it for questions. We made it uh, three hours and 41 minutes. You have a scrim now in just a couple moments, so we have to cut this short, even though I think almost a four-hour podcast is not short by any means. Before we go, plug your social media. Where can people follow you? Uh, if you made it this far in the podcast and you don't hate me yet, you can follow me at super, with no E, Seth, on Twitter. Or visit twitch.tv slash SUPR to join the greatest Rainbow Six community of mankind that makes Siege great again movement. Come to my stream, enjoy some FPL, or just hate on me. I don't care as long as you're in my stream. That's all I got to say. I've always appreciated it. You are outspoken. You are a lightning rod for criticism, and I am very eager to see what team forms around you now for the Sonics, and if you compete in the SI quals with the team, or if you don't, and maybe join us for some qualifier casts, as that's always an option, too. Oh, uh, yeah, if we're not playing it, I'll cast with you for sure, if you cast them. Well, I think we just might. We need another 92 Dream Team versus DZ Bonanza. We'll oh, see no. if... I, I... I read the uh, the article I think, and it said like the qualifiers will be like community casted. My eyes opened up. I think oh, we shit. just gotta follow around. We just gotta follow around rent free. Honestly, I just gotta cast Yardy every game. We just gotta have a Yardy cam. Yes, <laughs> I, I am. I am fine following rent free. So with that said, thank you very much, everybody, for watching. As always, for those that are on the audio side of things, unfortunately, there won't be any links for you unless you venture on over to YouTube. But for those of you that are here from YouTube, there will be links down below for Seth, Canadian, myself, and our two wonderful editors slash graphics artists. Thank you. Take care. We're hoping to do this again next week, but we'll see as Canadian is home. We're on a break. We'll keep you informed. Join the Discord. The link will be down there as well. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks for watching.